This is Matt Brown, and you're listening to Just a Good Conversation. Winning 150 Division I college basketball games is tough. Winning two Big West Coach of the Year awards is hard. But my guest, Jason Flowers, makes looking good in a suit really easy. I strongly believe that people have to get to the fork in the road before they really commit to things or they meaning okay I say I want to do this but do I really want to do this like I, I think like there, there, if I look back over you know I'm not you know, they're not that old but if looking back over life like the times that those were the decisions and the times that made the difference in life like the times that you wanted to quit and even were about to quit and you didn't because you really wanted what was on the other side. You really wanted, but you made, you have to make that decision at that moment. I'm Matt Brown, host of Just a Good Conversation. Take a listen to all our archives. My guests have ranged from Oscar winners, sports writers, and director of communications at LAX Airport, Stephanie Sampson. Early on in this position, I was in, I was actually in Belgium. And I was on vacation. Oh, to be back on vacation. <laughs> but I drove past a Bombardier factory. Um, Bombardier is building our train cars. And I got so excited. And I was like, Bombardier, <laughs> our project. And now I find myself looking at cranes as I'm driving down the freeway. Here, I saw some cranes. And I'm like, oh, okay, they're putting the seventh crane in, a tower crane at our rental car site this week. And like, I'm so excited because we're going to have this really cool photo to highlight on social media. And it's like, oh, I used to remember stats about how many touchdowns someone has or what's their furthest PR and now I'm remembering stats on you know how much concrete is poured and it's like how different is this but I love it <laughs> go to justagoodconversation.com for all of our archives let's take a quick break for our sponsor before diving into my conversation with Jason Flowers Coach Flowers, how are you? I'm doing good, man. How are you doing? I am great that I've, I get to sit down with you today and we stop responding through Twitter and we actually can see each other face to face and have a conversation. Exactly, right. I'm, uh, I'm honored and uh, humbled to, uh, to be here. You know, it's funny. This is probably the, 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 the dressed down most I've seen you in a very long time. <laughs> no suit, no tie, not you know, a pocket square, ex- nothing. Exactly, man. You know, this. Uh, I will say one thing about coaching during... Uh, COVID is that it has convinced me that I don't know if I'll ever go back to that. Oh, oh. Yeah, I, th- I think, you know, at, at oh, come slacks, on. slacks and a polo, maybe. I don't know. You look damn good in a suit. <sighs> you always matched up your tie so well. Yeah, I, you know what? I, you I'll, give, I'll give credit to the missus on, uh, <laughs> on some of that stuff. Okay. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but yeah, man, it's, it's um, don't get me wrong. There's times where, you know, you feel like, you know, being a being an adult and, yeah. uh, and wearing the grown man suit, but you know, last year we got to coach sweats and dry fit shirts, and I'm not gonna lie, it was kind of nice. You were the Stuart Scott of Big West, running around looking good. Well, anytime I'm mentioned with Stuart Scott, that has to be uh, <laughs> either somebody's delusional or it's a great compliment. So I'm gonna take it as a great compliment. You're always a damn good dresser. <laughs> I appreciate even that. even in your assisting days. Well, you know. In the assisting days, it was, you know, you had to, you, they say you dress for the part that you want, mm-hmm. right? And so, uh, you know, the assistant days, I felt like, you know, I had, to, I had something to prove. You know, I had to look the part. Sure. Um, 
And then, you know, you get to a point where it's like, Sweats. Yeah, you just, you know, I, I, I'm not going to, well, part of it was probably I wasn't the head coach, so that took a lot out of it. Right. But uh, the other, I felt a lot more relaxed last year during <laughs> games. So I don't know if it was the, uh, if it was the, the moving down a couple seats or if it was the fact that we didn't lose a game all year. That always helps. Yeah, that uh, that definitely helps when it, when it helps a lot of things. But uh, yeah, I was definitely more relaxed on the bench last year. Tell me this. Where did young Jason grow up? Young Jason, uh, young Jason is from Watts. Uh, young Jason. Near uh, the towers? Uh, you know what? 103rd and Compton Avenue. So, like, right on the backside of uh, Markham Junior High School. Okay. Um, and uh, we were a, we were, we lived in a duplex. There was a gate fence to the left of our duplex. And the housing projects was right on the other side of the gate fence. So, uh, you know, my my grandparents um, owned a home probably three or four houses down uh, that my mom and and her siblings grew up in. And and one of her youngest siblings is is still in the house uh, to this day. Yeah. Um, And, um, you know, that that place and the people there and the experiences there shaped me tremendously into um, you know, the person that I am and, and the approach that I take to things. So, In which way? Um, so many ways. Um, you know, it's, there's a sense of pride in coming from where I've come from. Um, you know, it's kind of the, there's, there's, there's the adversity piece, obviously, that, you know, gets, um, gets publicized a lot. But what comes from that adversity doesn't necessarily get publicized maybe as much as it should. And so, um, you know, I, I talk about, you know, I, I was talking to a buddy the other day um, and we were talking about parenting and we were talking about our kids. And, you know, one of the things that came up, we were talking about community. Um, and where I grew up, everybody knew everybody. Um, good, bad, or indifferent. Right. You know, you went down the street and, and you did something bad. You knew that it was going to get back because they knew exactly who, who's, whose kid you were. Uh-huh. Uh, That's if, Jason. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. If you didn't, you, so you probably got in trouble with them because, you know, my mom knew, knew them and probably mm-hmm. told them, hey, if you see him, you know, doing what he's not supposed to do, get on him and then I'll get on him when he gets home. Um, but you knew your neighbors. Uh, and, you know, I think as time is going by and, you know, I think we live, my family now lives in a, uh, in a different environment. Um, and I think that sense of community isn't the same. Like, I, I really don't know my neighbors. Um, my kids don't go outside and play, partly because I probably don't know my neighbors. Right. Uh, you know, growing up for me, I was always outside. I, we were always running around. Riding your uh, bike, playing sports, doing something, right? Doing something. Um, you know, my mom wanted me close to the house, obviously, because of because uh, of the environment. But, you know, that meant, you know, I would bring my little adjustable basketball court out in the, out in the front yard and everybody would come, you know, and there'd be six or seven, eight people. Um, you know, if you if you hear if you listen to her, um, I was coaching at an early age, trying to tell everybody what they should and shouldn't be doing uh, when we were playing whatever game <laughs> we were playing, whether it was baseball or, uh, or basketball or football or whatever. But. Um, you know, I mean, Watts is, it's, 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 it holds a special place for me. Um, Could you imagine having your kids right now living in that kind of environment today? 
I mean, I think they would have to, they would obviously have to adjust, <laughs> but they have no clue. And, you know, again, talking with, uh, with my buddy, that's what we worked for. Like we, I think for whoever it is that, that grows up in an environment that maybe, you know, socioeconomically um, isn't the most ideal, you work so that things are better for your kids, things are better for you and your family. Sure. Um, but, you know, there's times where there's part of that experience or that upbringing that your kids miss out on that could be good and, and help them. Right. And trying street to... Street smarts, give them a little scar, see uh, reality. A little toughness. Yeah. I mean, it, it, life, I, you know, and we might get into this further further into the, to the discussion, but, you know, one of the things that I find myself having to talk to to young people about now in in you know in my profession and in, in coaching and dealing with young people is trying to explain to them that life is hard, um, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Like it just is what it is. Right. You, you can't you can't necessarily control it. Like there's there's thing I read on Twitter. Uh, I think Tim Elmore. Uh, you know you have a lot of adults now that are trying to prepare the road for the kid instead of preparing the kid for the road um and you know so for so for my kids it's trying to prepare them for the road and their road is going to look different than my road Mm -hmm. um but i don't know what that road looks like like I, i and i can't dictate what that road looks like um just like my mom couldn't for me but you know, in, in the process, you try to prepare them to handle the biggest bump that they're going to come across on that road. You hope that it's smooth. We all know that it's never going to be smooth. Um, but you try to prepare them for the biggest bump, the, the deepest pothole, so that they know that they're capable of maneuvering the road and getting to the destination that they want to get to. Right. You've said it a couple of times, mom. Mm-hmm. Was there a male influence in the house? Uh, my male influences were my coaches. Uh, and so single mom in the heart of Watts, uh, you know, she, uh, when, when How I How many was, siblings? I was an only child with my mom. Okay. I have, I have a couple of half siblings. Okay. Um, so she had one person to keep an eye on in the house. One person. And so she, uh, she left a, a, a and I've never had an in-depth conversation with her about this, but she left a well-paying job um, when I was born to basically stay at home and take care of me. Um, and going from public assistance to her working multiple jobs, um, living in the area that we lived in, you know, there are some memories of tough times and and those kind of things and nothing crazy where you know um ride nightmares or anything like that but you know you just remember some things um but she did a hell of a job um raising a kid uh in in that environment under those circumstances i watched her uh i watched her work her tail off for for years and so uh, you know and then you know I get into college uh, and you know she gets breast cancer and it's always just been me and her 
Uh, so to watch her go through that and her toughness, a lot of times, you know, you think of there's different perceptions of toughness and, and where it comes from right. and who's tough. Um, some of the toughest people I've ever been around in my life have been women. Um, and she is at the, she is at the, the head of that list. So, um, so yeah, it was, it was me and her. Um, but like I said, I had, I had coaches, uh, started off with Lil Clark who at 109th street park in Watson, he was, you know, he was my T-ball coach and flag football coach. And he had been a, a referee in the pack eight. Oh, wow. Back, yeah, back when it was a pack Back in eight. the day. Yep. Before um, they allowed Arizonas to come in all and Oregon's. It was, yeah. it was tight. Yes. And, uh, you know, he came to, you know, I posted something on uh, Instagram, you know, a few months ago or a while back. And uh, he came to watch my son play baseball. Um, it was during it was during the Final Four. Last year, okay. It, it, UCLA was playing later that day. I, I, I remember that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and um, and he came and watched my son play baseball. And it was the first time he had seen him play in person. And you know, my son is uh, my son is is in the sixth grade now. And uh, it was kind of a full circle moment for me because if it wasn't for him, that moment doesn't that moment doesn't happen. Like, I, there's no way my path is the same path uh, without him for a lot of different reasons. And so, you know, he's 94 years now, 94 years old now. He still drives. Uh, he drove himself to the uh, to the game. I tried to help him. He, he didn't want any help getting <laughs> No get part it. of it, no, huh? None, none whatsoever. He's he's back there trash-talking my son when he's up the bat telling me <laughs> what he should be doing and, and that kind of stuff. And so uh, – so yeah, it was it was it was Low Clark. It was it was Joe McGill. Uh, you know, we moved to Linwood from Watts, which is you know right next to right. Watts, Compton, Linwood, same. Uh, you know, separated by some streets. That's it. Um, and uh, so Joe McGill Senior was uh, was my first football coach, tackle or tackle football coach, uh, and that process taught me a lot. Um, In which way? Uh, I wanted to quit almost every, like for the first two weeks I tried to quit every day like literally my mom would drive me to practice with my gear in a bag to turn in because I, I, I didn't want to do it um, <laughs> just didn't like the physicality didn't like the physicality didn't like getting hit um, I was soft uh, there's no two ways about it I was soft um, he made some accommodations the first go around because I, I played quarterback uh, so he made some adjustments so I didn't have to do certain things uh, <laughs> in practice. Um, uh, but there was, it, it was a process and it was, it was some, some, some tough love that went on uh, that I appreciate to this day. Um, and, uh, and we ended up, but uh, my second year, I found out it was better to hit than get hit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I figured that out. Once I figured that out, I was, I was great. I loved, I loved football after that. Now, why did mom see or did she just decide, I'm putting my boy in sports? Uh, you know what? I think I just I gravitated towards sports for whatever reason. She wanted, she wanted to keep me busy, obviously. Okay. Um, I think, obviously, in, in some areas, the, the, the easiest and the, 
maybe the most efficient way to stay busy is through sports. Okay. Um, Did she have you in everything? Baseball, basketball, football, that little trifecta of just play it? Yeah, it was. And But I wanted to. Like, right. it, it wasn't, I don't remember ever my mom saying, hey, you're going to do this or I signed you up for this. It was always, mom, can I do this? Right. Practice starts, you know, they're oh, signing up for. Absolutely. You know, I remember watching, you know, growing up watching Daryl Strawberry, Reggie Jackson. I'd, I'd be walking around spitting all the time because, you know, Reggie Jackson was spitting all the sure. time. And uh, I actually, I probably accidentally spit in the house a couple of times without her <laughs> even knowing it, cleaned it up real quick before she, uh, <laughs> before she ever found out. But uh, no, it, it was just sport. I, I, at some point I fell in love with it and it was, it, I just wanted to do it all the time. So, and I just went with the seasons. So if it was, if basketball season was in, I wanted to play basketball and football season came around, I wanted to play football and then it was baseball season and I wanted to play baseball. And Isn't uh, that nice? Yeah. I wish that was more today. I'm yeah. sure when you're looking at kids, it's the same way. Yeah. It's, uh, and you know, with, with our own kids now, it's, you know, like I said, my son's a sixth grader. Uh, my daughter's a second grader. Uh, the two youngest um, and you know it, it's interesting because you know you watch it and you see it and you got kids specializing at like eight years old right and I just sit back and, and I, hopefully I'm making the right decision you know my old my son you know he wants he wants to keep doing this and you know my daughter she does it because my son uh, my son does it so we'll see what, what she what she wants to decide but you know you just hoping you hope you're making the right decisions for your kids but I just sit back and, and watch the specialization and either the kid's going to, just from my experience and watching things, I think the kid is either going to be burnt out or injured or like top out way too soon. It's, yeah, there, it was, it was a, it was a golden time in the sense of, you know, me and my buddies, we all played like the, the youth football team that I played on. We had, we had all kind of athletes on the team. Um, and I think, I think four of them ended up being like Division One athletes, and we were like eight or nine at the time, uh, all on one team, like two like basketball and two in football. And, um, but yeah, we we just got to we just got to play it all, and and you know, now if if Low Clark coached now youth sports, you know, he probably start a club team to try to make a lot of money instead of just working at the, like he was the, he was the director of parks and recs at, right. at the park. Um, so, you know, thing, things have changed. Um, How did you gravitate then towards basketball? Basketball was the sport that was, that I was the worst at. It was the biggest challenge. Baseball, when I was younger, was the easiest. What'd you play in baseball? What position? I played shortstop. I played, you know, I was pitched. Um, Were you very athletic early? Yes. Okay. Uh, pretty athletic. Like, I wasn't a freak athlete, but I, w I was pretty athletic. I think part of that, though, was that I played all these different sports. Like, I developed. You had explosiveness. You had agility. Because you're right. getting it from different sports. There was cross training. Right. Like, you didn't really think about it at the time. But, but that's what you were doing. Correct. Um, Isn't that funny? Like. Yeah. It was happening naturally. Yes. And now they're they're removing that, and then they force it in that solo sport. Right. Or I'm going to be a CrossFit swimmer. What? Yes. <laughs> uh, but just have her go run on the beach. Exactly. <laughs> um, 
But to your point too, coming naturally is we were outside playing all the time as well. Right. Like my kids, and again, talking to talking to my buddies there the same, like we gotta force our kids to go outside. Like my like literally, my son has we have a basketball court in the backyard, ten feet. He would rather shoot hoops on the little miniature deal that you hang over the back of the door. Uh-huh. Cause it's just easier. He can just do it. He can kind of watch TV. It's air do conditioned. Whatever. It's air conditioned. He can do it in socks. Exactly. All of that. Um, <laughs> Doesn't have to brush his teeth. He just no, sit lazy. Exactly. Do it in his pajamas. <laughs> yeah. All of that. Uh, but, um, but okay. So there was a post. I sent it to my buddy there, to Mike Greenlee, mm-hmm. and of uh, metal uh, pedals on a bike. Yes. And it said. If you know these, you have the scars on your shins. Yes. And the kids today have no idea. No clue. Trying to ride those without shoes on. No clue. Yeah. No clue. Uh, you know, the basketball deal, the analogy, I, I, I ask players now, you ever play outside? Most of the kids grew up playing in the gym. Right. Very few of them have ever played outside on concrete. Um, double rimmed hoops. Double chain nets. Chains. Yeah. No chain. Yeah, that was chasing balls. I would rather have the the chain double rim than no net. Right. I saw a guy lose a nail on chain link. I can see that. Yeah, went up, fingers got cut, came down, nail stayed up, just yep. bled all over the place. Yeah, 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 I can see that. But that was the battle scars. It was what it, if you really wanted to play, you played you played wherever. It didn't matter. It didn't have to be perfect. It was it just it just was what it was. And it's just, it's, it's different. And you played all day. All day. You didn't have Gatorade, a towel, sunscreen. You just went out and just blistered yourself on that asphalt. All day. And sometimes you had to hop a fence <laughs> right. to get to the court. Uh, you know, you laughed at your buddy who didn't know how to hop a fence or, you know, got exactly. caught on the fence. Tore his pants or yeah. his shorts. Or speaking, I mean, you know, speaking of the uh, the metal pedals, you know, you had the fences that had the points, too. Yeah, they weren't, they they weren't, weren't rounded. rounded. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So, funny story. We go to, again, we go to the community court where I live, and I forget the key at home. It's me and my son. And I, I was like, oh. Jason's just gonna have to hop it. And he looks at me like, what do you mean? <laughs> so literally this was about, I wanna say this was about four months ago. He hopped the gate for the first time. He was, he's going into the sixth grade and he hops the gate for the, and it was, it was like, I had to coach him through it. He was, he got to the top and he was- Was it kind of comical? Oh, I it, just- <laughs> It was comical, it was, you know, he was, you know, he probably had a little anxiety, I mean, not a little, he had some anxiety about right. it. And, you know, I'm not, in those situations, I'm, t- I'm my, my wife is more of the nurturer. I am the, hey man, get over the fence. Yeah. Hey, it's going to be okay. <laughs> and even if you fall, you're going to be okay. Right. You'll get up, you'll it's dust yourself. It's not a 20-foot fence. No, it would, not at all. <laughs> not at all. Uh, but once he did it the first time, you know, he felt good about himself. Okay, so when you look back at that, do you... Regardless if it's to your child, you look at mm-hmm. it and go, if that was in 1981, 82, when you were a kid, what would you all have said to that kid who couldn't get over a six-foot or a four-foot fence? I don't know if I can say it on the podcast. Right, but like, what's wrong with you? No, it would have it, it been, been some good-natured ribbon, <laughs> uh, I would say that. And it would have been one of those deals where, like, that wouldn't have been a one-time thing. Like, we would have brought it up later. Hey, oh, remember? Yeah. yeah, so... At uh, prom. 
Hey, right. remember when Jerry couldn't get over the fence? Exactly. <laughs> um, and but now, uh, but now, but now, but now, I know it's crazy. <laughs> but now, it's like you, the things our kids are going through now, and you go, wait a minute, come on, I was doing that, and right. when I was five, you had to get over the fence if you wanted to play hoop, right? And to get into the schoolyard, like there's so many things. All of that. To their their defense, it's the world is different. Sure. Okay, uh, so I don't know how to code, and maybe your kid does. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> no, and it, it's just the, the world is different. There's, uh, there's some things that we, that were part of our experience and part of our upbringing that, uh, that they have missed out on. Uh, and there are some things to theirs that, that we don't understand, meaning like I talk to our players uh, quite a bit uh, about these kind of things, and... I think myself and, and maybe some other people that I grew up with uh, throughout, you know, junior high, high school, college, like if, if social media had been around then, we might have gotten into a little bit more trouble. Oh, sure. Than, than we, you know, than we did. Um, Let's face it. I believe anybody who was raised in 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s is unemployable. <laughs> Let's just say it. I mean, we are. The things we said, did, the, the joking, the ribbing, like, we're all unemployable. Yeah, it's we're, true. We're, we're, not, we're not politically correct, uh, or we weren't. And it's, you know, with, with young people these days, it was, you know, it used to be parenting or, you know, helping young kids develop. One of the biggest thing, obviously, is peer pressure. So, for, especially for me, my mom was always concerned about, who my circle was, right? Who, who who I was around. Well, in reality, that became, you know, maybe my teammates or a couple of people at school. You're talking maybe 10, 20. If you play on multiple teams, maybe 30 people. But even then, you're not hanging out with all of those people. Right. So your circle of influence really, when I was growing up, maybe like 10 people, five, to, you know, five sure. close ones maybe, and, you know, a bigger group, maybe 10. Well, now the circle of influence is the entire world because of social media. Right. So you got these kids going on and they're being influenced by not only people their age, but people that are much older than them at oh. different stages of life. And a lot of people who are lying about the life that they're really living. And so, you know, you have this this illusion of what life is like going back to what we talked about a little earlier. Right. And. That's not a real representation of, of what life is. And I think, um, you know, just for us, we've tried to I, I, we've tried to give our kids more of a, a real representation. Now, again, their lives are completely different than the one that I had growing up uh, and my wife as well. Um, but at the same time, we definitely want them to know that the road ahead will have its bumps and its potholes, and they got to be able to navigate it. When did then basketball for you become the sport? I would say about the tenth grade. Um, I was. Were kinda, you still playing the other two in high school? I, I was. Um, so backing up a little bit, I I was really young all throughout sports in, in school. Um, so 
Is it your birthday? You were there? Birthday, and I was skipped a grade. So okay. I graduated high school and I was 16 years old. Okay. Um, which, let me see if I can do the math. 16, 15. <laughs> so I walked into the ninth grade as a 13-year-old. Man, um, that's young. Yeah. Uh, and so I say that because I was in high school, but I was, I was still super young. And so, you know, football, I played, I still played youth football. I didn't play with the high school team. I was, when I graduated high school, I was six foot. Nah, I take that back. I was five ten, ish, five ten ish, a hundred and fifty, hundred and sixty pounds. My senior year in high school, like I wasn't very big at all, um, and so I didn't grow until kind of like the year after right, I graduated. Which would have been normal. High Sixteen, seventeen, eighteen. Those were all of a sudden you start to <laughs> right fill out a little. And, and these days, I would have been a freshman in high school. Right, <laughs> but. Uh, you know, it's uh, it was just one of those things where I was still playing the other sports. Um, I kind of got burned out on baseball, um, even though I, you know, I, I thought I was I thought I was pretty good and pretty deep. Not not a world beater, um, you know, not not Shohei, Shohei Otani by uh, any stretch of the imagination. But I was I was I felt like it was it was the easiest sport for me. Now, not necessarily hitting all the time. That's a up and down deal. Right. Uh, but defensively running the bases doing those things. and and I could I was okay as a as a hitter and uh, but I just kind of got maybe it was the pace of it I just kind of got burned out um and so then it was it was football and basketball um and then football I was like I don't know if I'm growing uh which in hindsight if I wasn't gonna grow I probably should have stayed with baseball Right. Uh, yeah, I had the best chance, but um, but basketball became the challenge. And you know, I think the other thing about basketball was I didn't need anybody else to get better. I could go to the park by myself. I right. could go across the street to the elementary school across the street. And you know, I remember vividly watching college games on you know CBS uh, mornings. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as the game was over, grabbing my ball and going across the street and just shooting and dribbling and like envisioning myself doing what I just saw on TV. I, I didn't need anybody else to do that. Right. And probably, you know, being an only child, um, it was kind of a natural maybe gravitation toward that kind of setup. Um, it's funny what that St. John Georgetown game can do to you. Get you all fired oh, up man. and you want to go out. <laughs> that, 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 that fat five losing to Duke. Yeah, yeah that uh, too. Freshman year got me a little fired up. Uh, <laughs> and so... Um, so yeah, man, it was it was a challenge, and I wasn't. I mean, even as a senior, like I was, I I think I was first team all league as a senior, but I wasn't a world beater. Like I would say, my senior year on our high school team, we had one guy who uh, who went to Pepperdine right out of high school. Um, but I th- I would say at the time, man, I was my senior year. I was maybe our fourth best player, third or fourth best player. Like I I, I wasn't. But it was just, it was something about the game that I just figured if I just stayed with it, I could just outwork some people and, and end up getting, maybe delusional to an extent, but end up getting to where to where I wanted to go. Sounds like the Bobby Brown kind of syndrome. He was like the fourth or fifth best player on his basketball yeah, team. and but Bobby Brown played at Westchester, and they were really, <laughs> really, really good. Now, my team my senior year was good, but we weren't Westchester at that time good. Uh, Where'd you play? I played at Bellflower. Okay. Uh, so, you know, on that team we had... Were there good guys in the conference or in the league? Artesia. 
Oh. So so my senior year, Jason Capono was a freshman. Okay. Um, I didn't play varsity until my junior year. Okay. Um, so my freshman year, Charles O'Bannon was still at, I think, maybe my eighth grade, eighth, eighth or ninth grade year, Charles was still at, at, uh, at Artesia. Uh, so, yeah, they kind of dominated the conference. And then we kind of came up, and it was us and Artesia. And we had, we had like, we had an overtime battle for the league championship one year, so we were we were good. Okay. We just weren't. We weren't, I, I can't I can't put myself in on the, on the Bobby Brown uh, on the same level with Bobby Brown with that deal. Uh, they you know, that team West, was loaded. Westchester was on another uh, another level back then. But um, now, how were your grades? Oh, I was. Because you skipped a grade, you moved up, so you obviously I fooled a couple of people to think that's all that I was matters. Smart. Exactly, just make them think. So grades are good. <laughs> grades are really good. Are you thinking now college, or if you, mom and you had a conversation like I think college? Yeah, I was thinking college. I had been thinking college for a while. To be honest, like growing up, I remember I can vividly picture it right now. Me sitting at the the dining room table eating cereal. Uh, it was either Frosted Flakes or Rice Krispies. Uh, and asking my mom how I was going to go to college from a financial standpoint. Like, like I was probably first or second grade um, because nobody in our family had gone to college. You know, it, it was just not to overanalyze the deal. It was just right. being realistic. Um, but by that time, you know, you figure out you know, there's grants and there's financial aid and there's things to make ways to make it happen so obviously definitely um, not going to college was not an option what college what are you thinking I mean you're watching the fab five break your heart or and you're playing basketball are you thinking basketball college just gonna go to college yeah always have dreams yeah exactly man. I, I think <laughs> there's it, basketball dreams and there's real world dreams yeah. uh it flipped around i was um junior high school sixth grade junior high school i was a big colorado buff football fan because they had a quarterback named darian hagan who yeah. was who was from watts yeah and because darian hagan was from watts and he played quarterback and i was from watts and i played quarterback i wanted to be the next darian hagan uh and if 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 he gets this pod in any shape, form, or fashion, I would want him to know that he helped motivate me to be something. Um, and in a way, like, I'm sure there are pictures. Mom probably has pictures. I had, the, you know, the Colorado starter jacket. Like, I wanted to be Darian Hagen. Um, Just because he was a Watts guy? He was a Watts guy, and he, was, he, played, he played quarterback. quarterback and, and that was enough. Like, there wasn't, there weren't any other Watts guys. Right. There. Uh, and so, Isn't that funny? Because a lot of talent was in that area, but they just didn't get there. Yeah. And, you know, South L.A., there were a lot of guys that came out and to this day. Uh, but just in, in why and, you know, the the way that I kind of learned about him was they did a feature on him um, in Sports Illustrated. Mm -hmm. And so back in the day, I would cut out before they had fat heads. <laughs> I should have thought about it because I was doing it before. <laughs> I would cut out pit like I, I gotta find some pictures from 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 my mom's house, but I would cut out pictures of like my favorite players from like Sports Illustrated, and I just tape them on the wall. So my wall was a collage of all sports people, like just covered. Um, and so you know, Darian Hagen was was front and center, um, 
And then after I kind of got the, ah, I don't think the football deal is going to work because I'm not going to get big enough, <laughs> uh, you know, transition to the basketball deal. Uh, re- I loved UNLV 88, 89, 90. Uh, well, yeah. Jerry Tarkanian years. Um, you know, the, the Anderson Hunts, the, the Greg Anthony's, the Larry Johnson's, the, the Stacey Alden's. Yeah. Uh, they were just loved watching them play. That's when I really fell in love with, with college basketball and basketball. Obviously, you know, if you're, if you grow up in the, uh, in the nineties, um, eighties, nineties, um, you either loved Michael Jordan or you hated him. Um, I ended up on the love side. Uh, so <laughs> You know, MJ was was doing his thing, and you know, if you had asked me then from a basketball standpoint, oh, I would have loved to go to I would have loved to go to UNLV or, or any of that stuff. But you know, and then you know, as you get older, things start start to get more realistic about some things. Sure, um, I fell in love with UCLA. Uh, so, um, high school coach, or you know, the co head coach, assistant head coach, associate head coach, whatever the <laughs> title was, was Tom Osborne. And Tom was uh, was our director of operations when I was at CSUN uh, for the last seven years. I think I was there, but he was he was my high school he was my high school coach. And um, T.O. had we call him T.O. T.O. had season seats at UCLA. Um, and I could be wrong, but I believe it was section three hundred three. So okay. you, the lower bowl is, is the ones, mm-hmm. and then you know. Old Poly, pre pre renovation, <laughs> uh-huh. uh, and then the middle section was twos, and then you know up top were the threes. So he was three hundred three, and when I tell you it was the top row in three hundred three, it was the top row. It was the last row at the very top. But he had season he tickets. Had season tickets, and that's all that matters. I think he had maybe he had three or four. I don't know, and uh, and. He would take a couple of us when he had extra tickets when his kids didn't go or his wife didn't go. He would take us to games. And I remember sitting up there the first couple of times and was like, no, this is it. Like, this this is this is it. Now, mind you, I'm 5'10", 140, <laughs> 150 pounds at the time, but I'm thinking this is it. And uh, and it was crazy, man. When Isn't point, it amazing what captures you? Absolutely. And, and playing there, I remember – before every home game, I would walk out on the court, and the first thing I would do was look up to Section 303. I would look at those seats, and it was just a reminder of a lot of things. But it was, I it allowed me to kind of be in the moment, like it was to appreciate where I was and, and the journey that it had taken to get to that point. But, uh, but yeah, so. Um, so he's another guy who was a uh, who was a father figure, a male figure, even though you know I was raised by a single mom. Mm-hmm. So, what what's our decision in college? Senior year comes up. What are what are we doing? Senior year comes up, man. It's a it's a it's the choice between I have no uh, no scholarship offers whatsoever. Okay, in any sport. Um, to me, it wasn't even like. Again, could be delusional or whatever. I thought I could. I thought I could be a Division One athlete. I'll make this work. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it comes now. I get accepted to Long Beach State, USC School of Journalism, and UCLA. Um, and UCLA really doesn't have a, the major that I want. 
And like, what were you, at that time, what were you thinking? I was thinking either journalism or business administration. And did you just love newspapers, writing? What was your love of journalism? I was the editor of the school paper my senior year, and I was like the sports editor maybe my sophomore year or something like that. Okay. Uh, I loved Slam Magazine at the time. You know, if you asked me then, I was going to be Scoop Jackson. <laughs> Remember right? That? Remember Scoop? Yeah. Uh, I was going to be Scoop Jackson. Uh, I was going to play. After I was playing, I was going to write about basketball, be around it. Travel you know, I wasn't even really thinking about try. I just wanted to, you know, be around basketball. Sure. And, and I enjoyed writing. So, um, and that's not at UCLA. They don't have a, they don't have that com- they don't communication have, journalism program. They right. don't. And then they don't have business administration. So what I quickly learned uh, after deciding to go to UCLA, uh, and 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 really, it was if I got in there, that's where I was going to go. I I just figured it out. I said, oh, you know, they got business econ. I'll just take that one. <laughs> Not the same. <laughs> so, you know, my freshman year, I'm uh, I'm commuting from Bellflower to UCLA every day. Every day. Every day. Uh, and what you know, are you driving in? I'm driving a Mercury Tracer. It was silver. We called it the Silver Bullet. <laughs> That's as know, original as you can get. Hey, the Silver Bullet. Back then, your car had to have a nickname. It did. Right. And it was just the Silver Bullet. So then, you know. And as time goes on, nicknames get shortened. So it was just the bullet. <laughs> so, uh, so I was in the bullet, and uh, yeah, man, I was I was I was commuting every day. Um, I commuted to UCLA every day for a year, and then my freshman year, or my first year at Irvine, I commuted from Bellflower. Uh, now, why? Okay, so you're at UCLA. You're gonna go this. Mm-hmm. Are you approaching them and going, hey? I'm a basketball player. I love to walk on. Yep. Went in the office. Man, it was uh, uh, the old UCLA heads will, will, will appreciate this. It was when um, the Morgan Center was like a bullpen. Like it was like you would walk in and it was almost, uh, oh, what's the show? Like Murphy Brown. Mm-hmm. Where like, you know, it was, it was almost like a media deal where it was cubicles all in the middle. And that's where all the like assistant coaches and the support staff and all this. And it was busy and it was a lot of stuff going on. Right. And then like the head coaches had offices kind of like on the perimeter. So the head coaches had offices, but the assistants and all of the other people just were a big area. It was just a big area. Uh, you know, and I go in there and, um, yeah, I go ahead and, and I want to talk to coach Herrick and, because uh, he was he was the coach at of the course. time. Of course, that's you, you go to the boss. So I go in there. I got my newspaper clippings. I got you know I got a couple VHS tapes to show him. You know I want to walk. You're on. really gonna sell yourself, oh, man. I'm ready to go. And so uh, so I go in there and you know he's like, all right, come to practice. And I don't know why. I really don't know why. I can't. I couldn't tell you to this day why he was like. So I practiced with the team for probably a week and a half, right? And I was. Just turned 17. I didn't know anybody on the team. It was I, I basically just tried to stay out of the way. Like, looking back at it. It was like, you know, I'm in the locker room. I was going to say, I'm, were you aggressive or were you terrified? Um, I, wasn't, I wasn't necessarily ter- intimidated, maybe, would, okay. is, a, is a better word okay. for it. Um, <laughs> Intimidation were, can lead to terror. Yeah, I wasn't necessarily terrified, but intimidating. I would say, you know, again, I was 17 years old. This was 1996. They had just won a national championship in 1995. Right. So basically, they had everybody back 
everybody was still on the roster except Ed, Tyus, uh, George Zedek. You know, so Charles was there. Cameron was Cameron Dollar was there. I'll get to Cameron in a second. Uh, Toby Bailey was there. J.R. Henderson was there. Jelani McCoy was there. Chris Johnson was there. Uh, and I'm missing some people. And they people. probably had a ton of incoming freshmen because when you win, people show up. Yeah, I'm trying to think who. Th- you know what? That year, uh, the only freshman that year was Sean Farnham. Was it Sean Farnham? Okay. Yep. Um, but was it Reed? Was it Travis Reed? That was after. after okay. Yeah, Travis came in with uh, with Baron and, and Matt and all those guys. Okay, so, right. Uh, so, yeah, it was. And, and Cameron Dollar kicked my butt for a week, week and a half. I hated the guy. I know hate is a strong word, and you know. But yeah, but when you're 17, this guy is probably whooping you. What? Not only is he better than me, obviously, but physically, he's like kicking my butt. Right. Like, it's how much? Just, yeah, how much weight did he have on you? Um, I wouldn't say it was a whole lot. Probably. You know, but only 10 pounds of muscle is a lot when you're yeah, 17. I would say at least 20. That's a lot, right? Would you um, not like to have been 175? Yeah, it would have been, life would have probably been a little easier <laughs> in, in those practices. But, uh, but he kicked my butt every day. And, like, I really didn't like the dude. Like, I didn't really know him. I was quite, like, I didn't say anything in the locker room. Again, I was just trying to stay out of the way. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, one day after practice, you know, Coach Eric comes up. He's like, ah, you know, I don't think it's going to work. And I was like, yeah. I, I Not kinda, even as a walk-on. No, there was, they had, Sean Farnham was like a recruited walk-on that first year. And then there were two other guys. There, there was a crew of walk-ons. And uh, so I was like, yeah, I kind of, I kind of feel that. Uh, so, you know, that year I went. How did that feel? Um, it was disappointing, but not. How quickly into the first couple of practices you realize, disasters. I really oh, first day. bit off more than I can chew. For, it, it's, it's just a completely different level. There, there, as, you know, as these, the kids say these days, there's levels to it. And so... You know, the one level was just being in college, period. Right. Right. Then it was being at a Division One school. And then it was being at, they were probably top 10 in the country, and a team that was trying to win the national championship with several NBA players. Like, right. No disrespect to Montana State, but it's not Montana State Division One. This is a full-fledged competitive national ranked team shout out to my man danny sprinkle right uh but yes it was it was a, it was a little different right um and danny would tell you that he would love to have <laughs> you know in 1996 five of those guys on his squad right now right uh, it's just that must have been really eye-opening for you it was eye-opening but it was also motivating right okay so because now i saw it right and now I, you I, know where you gotta be yes i know what it is and i don't want that feeling again so now let's get back to the work. And so I went back to my high school and, uh, and I coached. And I was an assistant with my high school coaches. Um, and what it did was it gave me a different perspective of the game. And I was able to practice every day. Okay. And so I got to play. I got to, you know, I got to do things. I was still, still going. I was still lifting weights. The biggest thing was I just needed to physically mature part of it. So... Um, End of that year comes, and a guy that was a year older than me had gone to Fullerton JC. Okay. And uh, 
you know, we were right down the street from Cerritos College. But, you know, he went to Fullerton JC. He had a good experience, um, character guy. Uh, and so my plan was just to go to Fullerton JC for a year, try to play as well as I could, and then go, go somewhere from there. Um, and in the midst of that, my high school coach, uh, not T.O., but, but my other high school coach, John Downham, he says, hey, man, I think you should uh, try to go to UC Irvine. And I said, huh? And he said, I think you should go walk on at UC Irvine. I said, hey, man, you know they went like 1-25 in 25 last year, this year, right? And he said, yeah, yeah, that's perfect for you. So I'm like, oh, 1-25 is perfect for me. So he, well, says, he says, there's an opportunity. He says, obviously, there's opportunity. But more importantly, and it was great insight by him at the time. He said, more importantly, they got a new coach. And he doesn't owe any of those guys anything. Everybody's starting off at the same point. So I went and played open gym down there um, at Irvine. Um, you know, where it kind of gets back to Pat that I'm okay. Um, and, you know, one thing leads to another, and I end up at Irvine as a walk-on. So I tell people um, I started my basketball career as a walk-on on the worst team in America. <laughs> Right, because they, hey, yeah. they were one twenty-five at the time. Now, Pat did a great job of, of of rebuilding the culture, but you know, at the time, he was walking in. That's that's what it was. Right, because Rod Baker had been there, right? Rod Baker had been there. Yeah, and that yeah. was disastrous. Yeah, I don't I don't know Rod at all. No, I I, I, I covered I, I cover for the Register at the time that because it was just so bad. Yeah, like there was forty people showing up. Parents would leave at half. I mean, it was it was god awful. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, that's how I started. Man. So I started as a walk-on at, uh, at UC Irvine. Um, and, you know, the, the, the saga continued. Did you love the campus? Um, the environment, the school? You know, it was, it was obviously different than UCLA. Um, but at the time, like, I was, I, I thought it was, I saw it as big time. Like, it was, it was Division One. I. I was getting an opportunity to play basketball. Um. You know, I was appreciative. Like it wasn't a, it wasn't a. I'm not going to go to school here because you know they, you know, the food choices in the food right. court aren't what. No, like, are you still making that commute down the 405? Still commuting. Okay. Um, other direction of the 405. Yeah. Uh, but still the 405. Uh-huh. Uh, so still commuting. Um, shout out to Kari Johnson, who uh, who was our skill, our, our life skills coordinator. <laughs> I think that was his position at the time. He was in charge of study hall. Uh, and, you know, my study hall was early in the morning. I was late a lot of times because of that commute. And uh, that 405 will get you. Oh, man. Kari, Kari showed me some love, didn't, uh, <laughs> didn't turn me in uh, <laughs> all the time. So I appreciate that. Um, but, yeah, so at, uh, at Irvine, uh, man, learned, just learned how to compete, to be honest. Learned how to compete at that level because, you know, Pat was rebuilding a program that hadn't won. Um, with guys who really hadn't won. A lot of us were brand new, whether it was high school kids or, or JC. And he's a winner. He had won. He's a three-time national champion. He had won. Um, and so just learned how to compete, just learned how to, how to play hard on every single possession. And I'm not going to sit here and try to act like I picked it up, you know, first day or first week or it wasn't a process or it wasn't a struggle or I didn't want to, you know. At the time, uh, what was the biggest struggle? 
time management college or understanding Division One basketball? Like, what was that struggle? Bigger struggle? The struggle was having to decide whether you really wanted to do the work. Not from an ac- academic, like, and I don't. I hope I don't. I don't come across as anything but genuine. But academically, I was fine. That's good. Academically, I was fine in high school. Academically, I was fine at UCLA. Academically, I was fine at UC Irvine. Like academics weren't weren't an issue. Like okay. you know, I was re- mom. I didn't. I wasn't able to do anything until homework got done. Okay, so mom was uh, putting the hammer to homework first. Homework first, grades. Like if man, I, I remember because <laughs> well, you're not getting to UCLA or Irvine without good grades. But no. the balance between a Division One college athlete now. Mm-hmm. And, and schoolwork, you got to have that balance and time management skill. Yeah. So you were capable of doing that. Yeah. Academically, it wasn't, there, there, weren't, there weren't concerns on my end. Um, it was the, the intensity and the effort that you got to perform with on the court and, and bring it every day in practice. And, you know, at some point, you have to make the decision is, is this what I really want to do? I, I, I strongly believe, um, and people might not like this concept whatsoever, especially in today's culture. I strongly believe that people have to get to the fork in the road before they really commit to things or they meaning, okay, I say I want to do this, but do I really want to do this? Like, I, I think, like, there, there, if I look back over, you know, I'm not... They're not that old, but it was looking back over life, like the times that those were the decisions and the times that made the difference in life, like the times that you wanted to quit and even were about to quit and you didn't because you really wanted what was on the other side. You really wanted, but you made, you have to make that decision at that moment. Like, so going through this whole journey and, and, you know, we can keep talking about the, the Irvine deal, but. I almost quit when I went back to UCLA. Right. Very few people know that. And I would have missed out on, my life would have been so different. So different. Um, but, yeah, so, you know. Well, okay, tell me this. First game you played in. First game I played at Irvine. Oh, man, you put me on the spot. I don't, I don't even remember. Oh, for the love of God. It, was a, uh, it, was a, it had to be an exhibition game. You know, we played exhibition games back then. Right. You know, it was it was either an international team that came over. Right. A club team. Maybe that was it. Or, like, they had, like, an EA sports team that right. traveled around with uh-huh. former college players, yep. and you play. So it had to be one of those. People have no clue that that's what it was like. Yeah. <laughs> it had to be one of those. Um, the game that changed everything for me was uh, we were playing San Diego State at home, and they weren't very good, and we weren't very good. Um so probably the game wasn't very good. But <laughs> <laughs> what happened was, was that it was just a foul fest. Like, there were just whistles everywhere. So I'm sitting there. There's three walk-ons on the team, right? And my freshman year, and I had been prepared by Cameron. and No, forgot to tell you. So the same dude that I hated, Cameron Dollar, uh-huh. is now my assistant coach at UC Irvine my first year. Mm-hmm. And he becomes big brother to this day. I just talked to Cameron the other day. Like, real life decisions, man decisions, meaning, you know, husband, father, all of those deals. Cam is the guy I call. 
if you had told me that those, that first week and a half yeah, when I was at UCLA, UCLA. Oh, no way, no I'll way. Never talk no, to that I don't guy. even like that guy. No, <laughs> despise that guy. Uh, but that's he's my guy, and so I had been prepared for. Hey, you know, being a walk on, guys are gonna have to mess up five or six times before you get your first chance. So you know, I didn't. I might have played in the exhibition games, but like really didn't play after that. So we're playing San Diego State. It's a foul fest, and, you know. Guys are filing out. But now I know that of the three walk-ons that are on the team, I'm first in line. I do know that at this point. <laughs> right. And so I'm sitting there and the file's gone. And I, and I look and I was like, hey, man, if one more person files out on our team, I'm going in. You're just doing, by you're numbers. You're looking up doing the math. And yes, just by numbers. Like, I math. have to be in. He got to put me in. <laughs> A couple minutes later, file. Somebody files out. Wow, sure. Does he look down? And- yeah, he probably looked down in disgust, like, oh, God damn, oh. we're at the we're at the walk-ons. Yeah, <laughs> he probably sure in. Thank God he knew your name. He did know my name <laughs> that time, <laughs> or at least he called me my name that time. At <laughs> least <laughs> you can your number. Uh, what just, what's that guy's number? Oh man, so um, so you so get I'm in the game. game. It's a close game. A close bad game. So A close bad game. <laughs> so exciting. Yeah. Either way. Yeah. Either way, it's exciting at the end. It is a one-possession game. I don't know if we're down two or if we're down three. And so people know you're playing point guard. It's point. Well, no, I'm off the ball. I'm, I'm, I am playing the two. Or the oh, you're th- playing at this right now? You're playing? Right, on the floor. I'm, I don't have, the, I don't okay. have ball handling responsibilities. And so uh, the game, it goes and... The ball finds me in the corner for basically the game tying or the game winning shot. And I took it. And I missed it. <laughs> and we lost the game. And I remember going home that night. And I remember saying, if I'm ever in that situation again, I'll never miss that shot again. Thank goodness for my coaches for the rest of my college career, I was never in that situation again. <laughs> Um, now, why, when you're driving home, mm-hmm. what is that switch that gives you that, I'll never let that happen to me again? Because I can control it. And that's the thing that, like, people, uh, it's, we're, we're in a time now where people are trying to control everything else except themselves. People are trying to control how, you know, what this person can or can't say what this person is doing, what that entity is doing, what, I can't control any of that. I can't control, I couldn't control if Pat put me in the game again. I couldn't control, I couldn't control a lot of things in that situation. But the thing that I could control was my preparation for if that moment ever came back. And so the switch was, was I need to, I I need to be better, I need to have better work habits. And so we come back to practice and I went harder than I've ever gone without Pat saying anything. I went harder than I had ever gone before. So that moment of failure lit that fire in you. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that, so, so many people, it's the other way. They curl up and uh, I don't want to, don't ever pass me that ball again. Correct. I want it. Give me, give me some time to get my jumper right. Right. But it <laughs> but, lit but I a fire it. under your ass to go. Yeah. 
I mean, what other choice was there? But the other one. No, I don't want to. Yeah, but that you, I mean, for you, me, that wasn't a choice. Right. But, you know, there's a lot of people. You've played with them. You've mm-hmm. coached them. They, they cringe in that time. Yeah, it wasn't a choice. Coming from where I come from, watching my mom do what she did and to continue to do to this day, I'm, I'm going to go back and tell her or anybody else who was sacrificed for me to be in the position that I am that – Oh uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm throwing the towel in because I missed a shot, or because I don't want to work hard. Nah. Right. Telling your mother that I don't want to shoot the ball anymore. Yeah. In her eyes, that's not going to fly. No. Now, when I got to UCLA, she did ask me why I didn't shoot the ball more. <laughs> yeah, she tried to coach me, even though she never played a day in basketball in her life. But that's a different. God loves fans. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I I went harder than I'd ever gone before, and I remember after that practice, uh, Pat said something, and he was like you've responded the right way. Um, and that tells me a lot. And so I went from not playing at all, really, before that game. We went on a road trip. We played at NAU and we played at UNLV. Talk about coming full circle. So we go to NAU and I play. I don't start, but I play. I play a lot or quite a bit. There's minutes now. There's minutes right? now. Yeah. I've, I've earned some respect, and so now there's minutes. Um, so we played at NAU, and then UNLV, I start. So my first start, and I remember, I don't think there was a start before that. My first college start was at UNLV in Thomas and Mack at the place where I watched those dudes who, and you know what? I totally forgot about that until we start talking about this right now. That 89, 90 dark years made me fall in love with college basketball. And coming back full circle, that was my, my first college start that I remember. Um, was that UNLV? What was that like? It was crazy. I mean, you know, again, it's it's like, man, like, not that I'm here that that I've arrived, but like, like I'm here. Like the the, the I was watching it on TV, and absolutely. now I'm here. Absolutely, living it. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. That had to be a little bit of whoo. No, it, it was crazy. It was it was crazy, and they were. Uh, you know, what does that say good. about Pat that he recognized in practice? You stepped it up. I think Pat, like looking back at it, uh, Pat respected toughness. Um, and as a, you know, even even then, I was 18 years old. Like, yeah, I was a year in college. Wasn't really playing basketball, so it was, it was still kind of all new. But I was 18 years old. Um, and I still had a lot to learn about toughness. Um, but I think, he, I think he respected toughness. And looking back on our teams and me included, we weren't very tough at times. Like, there was, there was times where we were tough, and there were times where I was tough. Mm-hmm. But overall, no, I wasn't. I wasn't nearly as tough as I needed to be. But I think in that moment, he saw he saw the right response and saw that it was that it was in there. Um, and, you know, he gave me the opportunity, which I, uh, you know, obviously I'll, I'll remember those moments and, and, you know, that UNLV deal forever. Is there any bit of what he was coaching then that kind of stuck with you? Oh, absolutely. Like it, it's, I tell people all the time, like there's no way that I go back and able to 
to be on the team at UCLA and actually see the floor at UCLA without the two years at Irvine and under, learning how to compete. It was, it was never comfortable. And there were most of the time I didn't like it, if we're being, if we're right. being 100%. But it was exactly what I needed. Um, and so, you know, to this day, some of the things that I learned there, I remember, you know, obviously my first year Cameron was an assistant, right? And, you know, I think the, the biggest difference for coaches um, or leaders or parents, um, from my perspective, there's a certain level, there's a certain level of expectations, there's a standard that you set. And that standard is in performance, it's in toughness, it's in, you know, Unselfishness, all, all all the things, whatever it is that that that's important to you and in your group. Um, and your job as a leader is to get people to get to that standard, and it's to hold them accountable to that standard. And different people have different ways to do it. Cameron Dollar is as tough when it comes to what the standard is as Pat Douglas is, if not more. Me and Cameron connected more because of the communication piece. And so he, Cameron invested time outside of basketball. Like I'd get out of class and wouldn't have anything to do. And instead of going and like hanging out after like the food court, I'd go over to the office and like me and him would hang out. Um, but, I rem- but it also allowed for him to coach me hard, but just in a different way. Mm-hmm. So I remember Pat's on my head one day, like on my head. And uh, it's about defense, which it usually was. <laughs> uh, and, you know, I, I come out of the drill. I go over to the sideline and Cameron's standing there. And, of course, I go right next to Cameron. And, you know, I want to vent or do whatever. And I open my mouth to talk. And he cuts me off. I don't even get a sound out. He says, hey, don't talk to me until you start going hard. And he just walks off. <laughs> wow. And I looked, and my first thought was, hold on, man, that's supposed to be my guy. But he was my guy. And that's exactly why he was doing what he was doing. Because he was my guy. Because he cared. Because I was out there not meeting the standard. And um, so, yeah, man, it, the, the, the Irvine experience in a lot of different ways um, prepared me for not only being at UCLA, but it prepared me for, you know, coaching and leadership and and all kind of stuff. Now, how do you circle back to UCLA? So, uh, so my... I know you can't love the 405 that much. You decided, oh, I'd like to spend more time going north. Well, here's the crazy part. So my freshman year, I commute to, to Irvine, and, you know, that was kind of the kickoff, right? So I ended up starting probably most of our conference games my freshman year, and I go from being a walk-on to earning a scholarship. So my second year at Irvine, I'm on scholarship. So now I moved down to Newport with my man Ben Jones. <laughs> Shout out to Ben Jones. Uh, we're roommates, Brian Scoggin, uh, Adam Stetson, and Malachi Edmond. We're all roommates. Uh, we literally had a beach house on 20th and Court. Like, literally, you could throw a rock and we could hit the sand from our front door. Like, it was, it was... It was good times. Just like Watts. Yeah, exactly <laughs> like it. 
Uh, and so um, my sophomore year, Cameron's gone. He took the, uh, the what is, it was Southern California College at the time, uh, but Vanguard University mm-hmm. now. He took the head coaching job. I think he was the youngest head coach in the country. I think he was like 23 years old or something. Crazy. Right. 24, maybe. Crazy. Um, so he leaves. And my bridge to the coaching staff changed. Um, and so, uh, and we got, we got better players, to be honest. The talent level went up. So yeah. there was more Pat's competition. Pat's got a full year now to recruit. Yep. And he's, he's bringing in his guys. Uh, but, you know, the communication wasn't the same. Um, me and Pat butted heads all year. It, it started during the summer. It was, it was tough at summer camp with one of my buddies from home. And it just, it just, it wasn't a, it wasn't a good year. Right. Uh, and so I leave Irvine to go play for Cameron at Vanguard. So, yeah, <laughs> roll with me. So March, you know, end of the season, March happens, whatever, I leave. Cameron's at Vanguard. I'm going to play for Cam at Vanguard. Right. Makes sense. Makes sure. Sense. That's my guy. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, we're there all spring. I'm going there, you know, it's 15 minutes from UCI, if that. If that. Yeah, if that. So, you know, jump on the 73, uh, be there. So we, we were there playing open gym every day, springtime. We, I recruited a guy who went to Artesia High School, but we had grew up together uh, in Linwood. He was coming. We had, you know, we were putting together a pretty good team. And uh, I'm, out with, I'm out with with some buddies, um, and I get a page. We had pagers back then. Mm, of course you did. Of course. So Mandatory I, if you want right. to meet the ladies. <laughs> no, <but laughs> so you I, want my pager number? <laughs> you know that line. <laughs> so I check it, and it's camera. And it's like a Friday night or a Saturday night. So I'm like, and it's, you know, it's not 830. So I'm like, what is Cam like, kidding me about? So I go to the payphone. Found, find your 20 cents and you right so I called I had a calling card I think. oh yeah big time big time didn't need change no um, and so uh, so I call him and he's you know he asked me where I was I told him uh, he was like hey man I just want to let you know like I'm leaving and I said huh because <laughs> I'm leaving I'm uh, I'm going to be an assistant at Georgia with Herrick because Herrick had just got the Georgia job he ends up only staying at Georgia for a couple months, and then he goes to St. Louis with Romar. But uh, so I was kind of in limbo, to be honest. Um, and uh, not a lot of people know this part of the story, but uh, I had it was so I was still living with my teammates in Newport because it was still school year, right? And it, school right. year is winding down, so you know they're going to practice, workouts, do whatever, and. Um, as the story goes, uh, some people, some guys that they had recruited, they had they had missed out on. So they were stuck, and I was stuck. And uh, so, you know, of course, my teammates know the situation of me not, you know, Cameron leaving and all that. And mm-hmm. Pat knows because sure. you know he knows the deal. And so Ben says, "Man, won't you just come back?" And I said, "Man, Pat ain't Pat ain't having me back, bro. Like that's not happening." He said, no, 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 like I'm, I'll talk to him. So Ben goes in and talks to Pat. So I don't know how it works out on Pat's end. You could 
you know, that's a conversation right. for Pat. <laughs> but what happens is they end up having a team meeting asking the rest of the players, like, how, they, how would they feel if I came back? Well, I still had, I had good relationships with all of my teammates. Like, right. that, that was never an issue. Uh, so, you know, they, uh, so it comes out of the meeting, like, oh, yeah, you know, you know, we, we love to we, have you back. We sure. take, I don't know if they use the word love. I wasn't there. <laughs> but, you know, we take him back, you know, just any other. And so um, let's say, like literally, let's say my meeting with Pat was Wednesday. So Pat knows what's going on. I know what's going on. I set up a meeting. It's Wednesday. My teammates have already told me what's happened. They're standing up. Or former teammates. Mm-hmm. So Monday morning... I don't know how it happened. Now that I'm thinking about it, but I think, no, it, it might have the same thing. So Cam calls me, and uh, and he wakes me up. Obviously, he's on East Coast time. He's in Georgia by now, and and I'm I'm West Coast and in the summertime, and I'm you know. You're not up bright and early. Yeah, I'm probably waking up about ten. <laughs> uh, so he calls me. He wakes me up. He said, "Hey man, what you doing?" No, no, no. He didn't even say that. He says, "I said hello." He says, "You can go back." And I said, ah, oh, yeah, I got a meeting with Wednesday. I got a meeting with Pat Wednesday. Like, I talked to Ben and da da da. Right. You know, you know. We're good. I got this. Yeah. Thing. He said, no, 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 no. I'm not talking about that. He said, you can go back to UCLA. I said, huh? He said, I just got off the phone with Lav. You can go back to UCLA. And so he said, here's Lav's number, call me. So I called Lav because I was. Still in the UC system. Both right. transfers were super easy. It was just a matter of paperwork. I was in good standing, the whole deal. So let's say I was at Monday, Tuesday, I go up to UCLA, I get all my paperwork set up, da da da. da. So I'm, I'm going back to UCLA. I, I still go to the meeting on Wednesday now, just because okay. Pat doesn't know any of this is going on. So I walk in and uh, <laughs> he, uh, he sits back in his chair and he, kick, he puts his feet on the table. He says, What can I do? What can I do for you? We both know what the meeting is about. Uh-huh. Okay, no problem. I said, well, you know, um, I know Ben and the guys that talked to you about me coming back, and, you know, I appreciate the, the opportunity of just even having this meeting, but, you know, I talked to Lab yesterday, and I'm going back to UCLA. Feet come down off the table. He sits up in his chair. And, uh, you know, it was a little bit of a surprise for him. Sure. Uh, um, it, was, it, was, it was amicable. It wasn't anything crazy. Um, and I went back to UCLA as a walk-on. And what do we study at this point? Because we still don't have all the yeah, classes you man. want. We are, um, so, <laughs> you know, I took a, that, that first econ, I think it was, uh, it was macro, or maybe it was micro. Either one, I wasn't, I, that was the first class I got a C- minus in, and I was the happiest dude on the planet. Um, Did you have to work hard for it? I had to work hard. It was an 8 a.m. class, and I was commuting. So, like, if I wasn't out the door at 6.30, I was late. It was nobody in my family had been in college. I had no idea what college was about, so we go in for our first test. And I didn't know you had to bring your own Scantron. It was all of that wrapped up in one. Yes. And so, Excuse me. Uh, you got a Scantron? No, no. Yeah, Excuse yeah, me. You got an extra one? Yeah, 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 I got you. You got a number two pencil? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so all of that wrapped up in, in the class. Um, so I went from there. I took a social one class at UC Irvine with, uh, with a professor named Chuck O'Connell. I don't think I'll ever forget his name. Um, and I had no intention of majoring in sociology. 
it was just a prereq for, you know, you got to take social, you got to take right. anthropology, you know, you got to take whatever. Right. Fill in the blank, got to take them. And after that, I was hooked. It was, he was, he, the first, I remember the first day we walked into class, he said, my job is to find that place where you, where you rest your brain and to set a pin there. And that's what he did every single day. Everything that, that we thought we knew, he made us question. He made us think about it. Not saying that you're going to change your mind, but at least you're thinking about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was great at it. He was great. I don't know if he still is teaching, uh, but, but Chuck O'Connell was the reason that I majored in sociology. So now we're in sociology at, at Irvine. So obviously UCLA has sociology, so it just carries over, transfers over, and, and the soccer continues. So basketball ends. What are you thinking career-wise? Um, it's funny, man, because uh, basketball ends where we lose to Duke in the Sweet 16. Um, they end up going on to win a national championship that year. Played against Arizona, who we played. Uh, Obviously, in, during the season, um, and Cameron came on that trip. He came out to the, to the game. He was, I think he was at St. Louis at the time, um, but he comes out, and uh, and he asked me that question. And I was like, man, I don't know. Like, I don't want a regular nine to five. Like, I, I, I knew that. Like, I think I like, like I want like like I got to be active. I got to be like you know, I got to be hustling. Like, it, it, I can't just be sitting in the office. Right. Um, I knew at some level that I wanted to coach my first year at Irvine because that was part of the reason that I spent a lot of time with Cameron because we would talk a lot about coaching stuff. And, like, you know, he he got me on the path of starting a coaching notebook and collecting stuff to, that I have to this day. It's like an encyclopedia of stuff. Um, so I knew I wanted to coach. Uh, I actually – there was – there was an opportunity to do like a grad assistant deal, um, but it was out of state. And my wife and I had just started dating. Because um, you guys both met at UCLA, correct? Correct. Yeah. Um, and I knew it was different. And so I didn't want to mess it up by going away. Right. Because um, she to still be, had one. She had two, two years more years. To play. Yeah. Yep. Um, and so. Uh, so, so yeah, I, you don't want to end up going to God knows where and trying to deal that deal with that. It, yeah, exactly. So um, so I stayed. Um, I did. Um, I was an academic coordinator for the men's basketball team at UCLA uh, for about a year, year and a half. Um, I did some substitute teaching back at my old high school. That was fun, uh, especially when I got the long term uh, <laughs> sub assignments in PE. Oh those yeah, were, yeah, those were really good. Um, and then uh, lab, after Labs last year, um, you know, I was just looking at some stuff. And there was a, a girl's head high school job at Santa Ana Valley. And at the time, we had... Uh, now, were you willing to go anywhere? I mean, not. I mean, you weren't going to go to Mississippi because you're in love. But are you willing to go to the other side? And when I say that means girls' sports? Yeah, I say this all the time. Uh, women made me a man. I was raised by a single mom. Um, a lot of times growing up, uh, I shouldn't say a lot of times, we, we lived with my aunt, my mom's sister, mm-hmm. and her daughter for a big chunk of time okay. uh, when I was in Bellflower, so junior high and high school. Um, you know, my daughter was born my freshman year in college. Uh, 
I was married at age 24. Um, so women made me a man. Like, I, I didn't, I, you know, we already talked about it. Right, but there's with, but coaching. <laughs> yeah, but I, I say that because I've always been around women. Yes. Like, I've, I, I've seen it. I've experienced it. I know what it is. It's, it's just natural. It's, it's, it's everyday life for me. Like, that, that wasn't anything new. Okay. Um, now, I would say, so, so I wasn't, I had no problems coaching men or women. Or girls or boys, whether right. it's high school. Right, because it's high school. You had girls. Yeah. Yes. And was it even, J- was it JV varsity? No, it was, I was the varsity head coach. I, and that was part of, that was a big reason. At Santa Ana Valley. Yeah, I didn't I didn't understand the lay of the land until I got there. Meaning, you know, there were kids on the Frost Soft team at Modern Day who barely played, who would have, like, started on my varsity team. Oh, easily. Yes. Um, but it was a great group, man. It was, it was a great group. I'm still in contact with those. They're young women now. Or their moms, they gotta be. Oh, their yeah, moms, yeah. Oh, easy. Um, it was How interesting many, to navigate because I was 24, and they, you know, our seniors were 17, 17 18. 18. Yeah. Um, Hell, it could have been your sister, your cousins. I mean, they're right yeah. there. And I think you know the one thing that I, or not the one thing, but a big thing that I took away from that year was, I think a lot of time, like, I should have expected more from them at times, especially early on. But it was, I was a young coach and it was coaching girls. I put up air quotes for those people who right. uh, who can't see me. Um, and I didn't, I should have expected learning? more. Yeah, what are you learning, right? So you're going in, it's high school. You haven't yep. coached high school basketball. You haven't been around it in several years. Yep. Now you're around girls. When you say you're expecting more, what, you want to push them harder in practice? I you want them pushed, more accountable? I yeah, I could have pushed them more. And, and here's where here's where it turned. So you know, in CIF, you have to win a certain amount of games to be playoff eligible. Mm-hmm. And we're in the hunt to be playoff eligible until maybe like the last week of the season. So we lose a game, and it eliminates any chance of us making the playoffs. Right. So we come in for practice. We have one game left. It was against Magnolia High School, and they were they were they had beaten us the first time pretty well. Uh, and they were better than us. Um, they probably went on and made the playoffs. Uh, but we come in, and the group was just – it was almost like they knew we weren't going to make the playoffs, so, like, let's just have a social hour for the next couple days, play this game, and go on about our business. Right. And I stayed true to who I, who I am, and that practice got real. Like, the balls got put up. You know, we started doing some physical activities that, that were challenging. Running, banging, let's we were, go. We were running. Could have been some burpees. Could have been some bear crawls. <laughs> could have been some six inches. Flashbacks to my football days, right? That was, I mean, that was just life. Uh, and um, I didn't know how they would respond. But I, in, my, in my gut, I knew that just letting them off the hook or just, you know, we're just going to hold hands for the next, you know, couple of days until we play this game and then go out about it. That wasn't what Have we were Have a banquet and then be right. done with it. That wasn't what we were going to do. And so, uh, so I got after them and I got after them the next couple of days. How'd they respond? We won. And in, our, in my exit meetings with the players, one of my seniors who is great young woman to this day. 
said, where, where was that all year? Like we needed, we needed that. Not necessarily all the time, right? Yeah, but we needed that. Like, and so that shaped me and my approach to coaching women more probably than anything that has happened in my career. And what do you think it was? Kit gloves, unsure. No, it, you know? was, it was definitely kit gloves. If, if it was, if I was coaching the boys' team, I would have probably approached it the way I approach coaching now. Like it, it was, it was more of, you know, kind of <laughs> soft and, and genteel, and 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 not necessarily saying that I was soft, but I was right. softer. Right. Than I would have probably that I than I would have been. And you're learning too. I'm learning too. Um, I mean, you are. You really you you hadn't coached. At, a, at that level? Yeah, but it was it was a great experience. And so, but I left that thinking, I don't, I'm not coaching women anymore. I'm coaching basketball players. Right. And I'm relating to women outside of basketball. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm dealing with women outside of basketball and, you know, all of that stuff, working with women outside of basketball. But on the court, I'm coaching basketball players. And so whatever I would expect from a boys basketball player in high school, I should expect the same from a girls basketball Absolutely. player in high school. And whatever I would expect from a men's basketball player in college, I'm going to expect from a women's basketball player in college. Now, are there's, I'm not an idiot. There are certain things that, you know, physically might be right. different. But as far as the approach, as far as the effort, as far as the toughness, as far as the unselfishness, as far as... Um, Boxing out is boxing out. Shooting when your hand releases is the same thing. All that stuff's the same. But now you realize some people are not going to jump above the rim. Correct. But But even with that, toughness is the same. Right. Fighting through a screen. Discipline. Getting hit. Right. Getting up. Getting up. Without being emotional or losing. Right. Control. All of those things. Yeah. Stay Stay calm. Assess the situation. Fighting through adversity. Right. All that instead of trying to avoid adversity. Right. Um, so that that shaped me that year and that 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 experience at the end of that year and that conver- the conversations with the kids at the end of the year shaped me as much maybe as anything else in in coaching women's basketball. Isn't that funny? Little little school from Santa Ana. Yep. Was what you needed to start. And had a great uh, great athletic director Terry Orabona who uh, who gave me a chance. I was a 24 year old kid. And she gave me the responsibility of leading 15 to 18-year-old girls. Right. Uh, which, uh, now that I look back at it, um, she might have been a little crazy. Uh, <laughs> but I'm glad that she saw something. She saw something. And I'll, I'll forever be grateful for, for her and, and giving me that opportunity. So what happens? Mary calls and you're off to Long Beach? Well... Uh, the, the story goes, <laughs> as the saga continues, I interviewed for the same job three years in a row at Long Beach State. So, oh, boy, you're consistent. Oh, man. Th- yeah, that's a, that's a positive <laughs> way to put it. <laughs> um, well, I am a parent. I have right? to <laughs> um, And so... Um, so you applied when Dallas was there? Yes. Twice, okay. So Once. Okay. So applied when Dallas was there, interviewed, didn't get the job. Um, Mary gets the job the next year. Uh-huh. I don't know Mary, but the UCLA connection, we know common people. Okay. I interview again. I don't get the job. Okay. 
And then the the next year, so like literally three years in a row, the next year opens up again, and then I, I get hired. God love you, you're consistent. Oh, man, you got to stay with it if you want. Yeah, right? absolutely. You get that fork in the road. So, uh, so yeah, I ended, up at, uh, I ended up at Long Beach State. Again, on the women's side. On the women's side. Were you applying for any men's jobs? No. Why? Um... Uh, you know what? Maybe I was looking at men's jobs, to be honest, maybe at the time. Because my, my biggest deal is I wanted to stay in Southern California. By now, my, my oldest daughter is, man, she's probably about to start kindergarten at this time. Okay. Um, you know, and so my, by this time, I'm married. So I got married the summer before, uh, before I started at Santa Ana Valley. Um, you know, Southern California was L.A. It was just it was just home. I, mm-hmm. I mean, I've never left. Not. And it, it, so location narrowed the choices. And so if it was just Southern California and just men's basketball, then it would have been fewer choices. Or if right. it was just Southern California and just women's basketball, it would have it would have, you know, lessened. The, so you the guys choices. settled in on that early. Like, OK, we're staying put. Yeah, well, here's the other. The flip side to it was was that my wife was playing on the national team, right? And a, so people a, understand the, she's a softball player on the national yes. team, right? Yeah, uh, a, a big core of those women were living in Southern California at the time, right? Because the training so facilities in Chula Vista, right? It was so that was easier for her to get to uh, when when it was time to go to training camp. But you know, on a day to day basis, you know, we ended up moving to when we first got married. We first lived in Fullerton, like literally. On like right over the freeway uh, from Cal State Fullerton. Okay. Part of the reason that we picked that place was is that she was training at Cal State Fullerton every day. Right. And so it was easy for her to get to and all that stuff. So it was a you know because her eyes on 04, correct? Her eyes are on 04. Yep. Yeah. The Olympics in 04 in Greece. Yep. And so she's made uh, she's made that team, um, and now it's it's training and being ready and. And doing all of that stuff. So SoCal was, was where it was. So it was, I was looking at men's and women's jobs, and it just so happened that Long Beach State, the same job opened up three years in a row. <laughs> bang, bang, bang. And I was like, man, if I keep trying, at some point somebody's going to get crazy enough to hire me. And so uh, probably and so easy, Yeah, was. at that point it was easier to say yes than to keep rejecting yeah, man, this damn yeah, letter. Yeah, man, <laughs> dude, leave us alone. So, yeah. So how, how was that, those Division One years? Oh, it was good. Uh, learned a lot. Um you know, I, again, man, you, you look back at certain things and, you know, we all have time to, uh, to evaluate it and look and, and laugh at ourselves if, if, if we're smart enough to do so. Uh, you know, like <laughs> I came across a term uh, talking to Scott Ruick, uh, the uh, coach at Oregon State, uh, a few months back, um, and it's called uh, Novice Arrogance. <laughs> right and so the concept is you know you don't know what you're talking about but you're you, you're sure that you do it's it's the the person who gives parenting advice but doesn't have any kids mm-hmm. right and I was full of novice arrogance as a young assistant um, meaning you know, never been a college head coach at any level. Um, 
but I had all the answers. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 we should do it this way. We should do it that way. We should do it. Why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? Why are we doing that? Um, now, that early staff was, was pretty damn good. Mary was a damn good basketball player in all her own right. Absolutely. And then? Here, here it is. I'll just sum it up. Everybody on the staff except me was a all-time top 50 player in UCLA women's basketball history. <laughs> <laughs> so Mary was on that list. Uh, and it might have even been top 25. I don't know what the number was, but they, they were recognized. It was Mary. It was uh, Denise, Denise Curry. She's so probably five, top five. Oh, Larry Bird of women's basketball. Oh, uh, She was a player. Yes, Google her. She still got a jumper to this day. Oh, I've seen her fool yeah. around a little bit. She can still shoot it. Yeah. Um, and then Nicole Anderson. So, uh, so yeah, it was a... Uh, they were, Denise had more experience in one strand of her hair than I did. Like she already a head coach? She had been a head yeah, coach. Yeah, she had been my coach at Cal State Fullerton. And yeah, she had been all kind of stuff. Uh, and, you know, the Lampe- like, Denise Curry is a, as a legend. Um, so but but again, you came in kind of oh, like, I got answers. Oh, I got all of it. <laughs> not, not asking any questions. <laughs> um, what were your response, early responsibilities then? Um, you know, recruiting is always a deal uh, in college. Um, you know, I did the film exchange. Okay. Uh, I kind of went back and forth over the years there, coaching post players and the guards. Um, I was the liaison to uh, to our booster club, which okay. was uh, which was good. Um, because those early years and those kind of responsibilities, wearing those little hats, mm-hmm. form you. Yeah, uh, and it was great. Like f- film exchange now is so different. Oh. It was then. Like when I first got there, we were, we would stack, and somebody's probably gonna listen to this podcast and be like, oh, like you did have that, man. You should have saw what we had five years before that. <laughs> yeah. But uh, we, we had real to reels, real to reels, right? Uh, Hermit Herman Boom sitting in the uh, Herman Boom sitting in the living room watching uh, Bertier uh-huh. uh, and and the strong side defense. <laughs> uh, but uh, we had we had VHS. Uh, stacked up and you had the master and you would put one in and you had to make sure all of them were synced up and recording and then you know you got it to FedEx and you sent it to whatever school and you know now game's over you just upload it everybody got access to it yeah. I guess it's, it's crazy but yeah it's, it's those things but um, it was it was a good experience um, you know I learned a lot um, you know we had some really good teams when I first got there I was kind of actually spoiled to be honest because I walked into a situation where the team was already good mm-hmm. and I didn't understand the process of being good or how to you know what I mean like mm-hmm. um, the Big West early on it was a very weird period Santa Barbara was absolutely dominant people they don't understand the Big West is what it is today. We had a top five team in the country with absolutely legit WNBA players. Dominant. They were. Uh, they were. They were really good. I always liked Dallas, and I thought she always got the kind of short end of the stick because you were just not going to beat French up in Santa Barbara. They. She had teams that went to the WNAT, but they always finished second, and they never were going to get over that hump because they were loaded. Yeah, it was different, man. They had players. First time we went up there, um, it was almost, it was practically a sellout. Yeah, Um, that place was bonkers. Oh, yeah, I used to pack it. The Thunderdome, Michael Douglas would be there, and they would be rabid. It would be loud, and, you know, all it took was for him to react to an official's call, throw his hands up, place would go crazy. Right. All over the ref. 
And he was a big, tall man, a big swimmer, former swimmer, huge guy. Got to be 6'8". Oh, yeah. If not 6'10". Right. He's, he's in that range. Right. Uh, but, yeah, he, uh, he, had, he did a, a great job with the program, and they were rolling. Um, Would you we were killed good to have had some of those players on and your We were good. No, no. Like, and when you were a head coach, if you could have said, oh, I would have loved to have Taylor. or so. You know what? I never coached against Taylor, so I never saw her close and personal. Oh, man. Uh, Kristen Mann was there. Yes. She was a senior. Um, yeah. I saw they Taylor were, do things that was, it was really sad to watch three or four women hang on her. Yeah. Just trying to play yeah. defense on this girl. Yeah, they were good. They had some good teams. But uh, learned a lot. And that's good. Yeah. That's good that you're learning early. Yes. yes. And then, you know, probably learned even more looking back and reflecting. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so, yeah. So, great four years at, uh, Great experience at uh, at Long Beach State. Uh, coached some great kids, who, you know, now they're at the age where their parents and they're married, and you know they're having kids. And uh, it's just a reminder that I'm getting old, but it's 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 wonderful. It's beautiful to watch. Um, so they end up at Riverside. For you two jump off to the 909, right? Yep, jump on the freeway, and uh, it's funny because. Um, Tariah, my wife, was an assistant coach the year before. And then at Long Beach. She started off at Riverside. Oh. And then she comes to Long Beach. Okay. We were th- we were at Long Beach together for a year or two, maybe. Right. And then I left and went to Riverside. So we flipped spaces okay. places basically. <laughs> um, so switch transmitters for the toll road. Exactly. Right. <laughs> and um, and so now I'm um, I'm at Riverside, and again, walk into a situation where they were already good. Mm-hmm. Uh, John had done a good job of he got he got different, you know, where it was instead of trying to be like whoever was you know the team to beat in the league or whatever, he got different, and and you know he had he had a vision for that stuff, and walked into a situation where they were already winning, um, you know. Kimmy McKellie was the player of the year in the conference, and she was coming back after sitting out the year before because she had gotten hurt. They were an older group. They were uh, they were a mature group, um, and we had we had a uh, we had a good year. We ended up coming in second, I think, to uh, Santa Barbara. Ended up you know winning the conference maybe by like a game. Like I think the the, the game at our place like kind of decided uh, the league. Uh, then we got upset in the uh, in the conference tournament. We went to the WNIT. Next year, we basically like literally my first year there. We had we had like five or six red shirts. Like literally, our, our there might have been more people in street clothes on our bench than there were in actually game uniforms. Um, Why is that? It was just he had brought in. We brought in uh, the neighbors' twins who had started at Arizona, and they were from you know they were local kids. And uh, kid named Marissa Rivera who had been at TCU transferred in, and so he just knew that those other kids were leaving, and we were going instead of dropping down, we were going to have to have kids who could come in and play right away. Right, and that's what happened. Um, you know, we started off the year tough. It was it was a tough year. They were a new group. It was trying to finding figure themselves, some, yeah, figuring some things out. And we went into the conference tournament. I think maybe as a four seed, 
And uh, we ended up, we ended up winning a conference tournament and going to going to the NCAA tournament. Um, and then I ended up at uh, ended up at CSUN for yeah, ten but, years. But at any point during those three years at Riverside, mm-hmm. are you starting to think your head coach ready? Yeah, man. You know what? I don't. Early on, I didn't know what that timing was like. You know what I mean? Like, when do you know? You know, you look around. And sometimes it takes people years to get, years. A, yeah. to get an opportunity. Some guys, some guys, some gals guys never do. Absolutely. Um, when you're not a turkey, so nothing pops and goes. Oh, I'm ready. Right. <laughs> uh, when I started looking around and seeing people that were around my age, who I thought I was just as good as, starting to get head coaching jobs, I thought, okay, now maybe now's the time for me to start even considering going that direction. Okay. So then now you say, all right, because with. Assistant coaching jobs, there's three or four spots on a team. Right. Now you got to wait for the one. Right. Whether it's Pepperdine, whether it's LMU, whether it's you, whatever. Still got to be SoCal. Right. Yeah. You're, so your your market's short. Yes. And it's saturated with a lot of talent. Yes. Northridge pops open. Yes. Boom. You're in. It wasn't a boom, but yeah, I was in. Uh, <laughs> But you, you apply. You're like, I'm yeah, in, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll go for it. Absolutely. I, I've always taken the approach, um, or I always took the approach that I wasn't ever going to be in a situation where I was going to get handed the keys to the Bentley. I was going to have to take an opportunity, or I was going to have to take a situation that was a rebuild or a reclamation process. I, I just, I, I, right, I, right. I knew that going into it. Um, and Tennessee so, wasn't going to call. Huh? Tennessee wasn't calling. Um, but it was out of SoCal anyway. So. Yeah, I would have I said no. Uh, <laughs> now, wait a minute. Tennessee calls. Doesn't offer you the head job because that would be unreal. But said, we want to bring you in as the associate head coach, and we're going to triple your salary. Right now, it's big money difference. Does that decision come into play? Because now it prob- we're, we're... It probably makes it harder, but... Because nope. we're out of the Olympics... Right? Yeah, but no, because she's still, I mean. Yeah, she's still she's looking at 08? 08, yeah. Uh, my oldest daughter is still in school. Right. Um, and. Um, it's the coaching life. You get tied down by things. And it doesn't help you if you're married to a world-class athlete. Yeah, but it wasn't a bad thing. Like it, it, no, like, no, no. It, but it, simplif- it simplified things for me, to be honest. Like looking at it, and it's like, ah, we're not overcomplicating it. This is what it is. These are the parameters. And, and you know, it's like hitting the baseball or so they say you know you zero in on a pitch and you get that pitch you got a good chance of getting it getting putting barrel on ball right, right? and so uh csun opened and uh and i and i was able to put barrel on ball bang that wasn't necessarily a bang either <laughs> okay so but we got it we got it we got it okay is that your first interview for a head coaching spot no okay uh, I'm, I'm not going to. Uh, one would be interesting to tell. Oh, so, no one's going to hear this. Go I, ahead. I, I, uh, <laughs> because okay, Dietrich I, Taylor told me one, and it was absolutely unbelievable. He gets his at Army, I believe. He takes one there, mm-hmm. and he's sitting there waiting. Talk to the head of the athletics, who happens to be like a four star, whatever. Absolutely. And he's waiting, and the 
secretary comes to him and says, he's going to be a little while. He's with the president of like Ethiopia, whatever. And he's like, uh, and he just realized at that moment, like there's a lot more to athletics and that, that guy can take as long as he wants. Yeah. Um, after my first year at Riverside, I actually interviewed for a high school job, head coaching job. Okay. Because it was closer to home and we were talking about start, we were about to start a family and just felt like at that time that could have been a better place. Um, were you okay going to high school, going yeah. down as they say? I think, man, good coaches are good coaches regardless of where they coach. Right. But there's egos in play and everybody always thinks there's a greener pasture. Yeah. I... My ego comes into play when it when it comes to results of what you have and what you do with it. That's the only thing that matters to me. Okay. Like in, in this deal, like I think there are some really good coaches who don't get the credit that they deserve because they are making chicken salad out of chicken poop, um, and it might not be a filet mignon, but it's still a chicken salad. And they're you know, and then I think there are other people who, um, as I used to tell our players. <laughs> They think they hit a triple, but they, they they woke up on third base and think they hit a triple. <laughs> right. And so I think that applies to some coaches, uh, some coaches as well. So mm -hmm. to me, it's not about the place. It's about what you do with what you have. And so interview for a high school job, didn't get it after being a, after being a high school coach for a year, after being a D1 assistant for six years, didn't get it. Um, and is that an ego bruise? A little bit, a little bit. Um, now the situation, who they went with, made sense, uh, but still a little bit. Uh, so then the, I'll just say before the CSUN interviewed, I interviewed for a Division Two head coaching job. No, no, no. I'm sorry. They were NAIA at the time, head coaching job, and didn't get it. And then, like, a month later, I get the seaside job. Why do you think that fit a month later for you? A better interview, personality, I, what know, they were looking for? You could say all of the above, probably, factored in. I just, I just have a strong belief that, you know, God will put you exactly where he wants you. Like, I, regardless of, now, some of those situations you might not like or you might not understand how you got there or why you got there or, or why am I here right now? Mm -hmm. But I think everything that happens happens for a reason. And I think at the end of the day, um, you know, God will put you exactly where he wants you. He's definitely done that with me. And, um, and, and you look back on it later or if I look back on it later and I say, ah, that makes sense. If it wasn't for that, I wouldn't have this. And this has been really good. Or if it wasn't for those tough times or that tough moment or that ego bruise or that whatever, I would have never been able to experience this. And this has been really good, <laughs> right? It's, so um, I, I just, I'm just a strong believer in that. What were your early challenges at Northridge? Uh, building a culture from I'm not going to say ground zero. It was below. And, and I, I'm, I'm, I say this not trying to disrespect anybody who was there before me, but it was just, it wasn't ground level. Like we had to kind of build some stuff just to get it to ground level and then start to build on top of that. Um, it, was just, it was changing the culture. It was flat out changing the culture. Now in the interview process or just sitting down with your 
AD, do you explain to them like what you're trying to accomplish and your what what time period you're going to need? I'm going to need X amount of years to get this thing straight or are there expectations immediately we want to be competitive right off the bat yeah i think it all depends on probably the place uh i think you know just to be candid in in the csun situation i walked into a situation where there hadn't been much success i think right there was none i mean it was what like i think total the program had won maybe like 13 games in the four years before we got there it right. was it was something crazy yeah um, they weren't loaded with talent. The people weren't <laughs> clamoring to go there. Correct. All of the above. Um, there, there were some talented players. Um, and, but then there were some restrictions, too. Like, we weren't fully funded when I first got there. And meaning, like, we didn't have 15 scholarships. Um, that didn't happen for a while. Like, we were there for a while before it got to 15 scholarships. And now, is that something just purely money in the athletic budget? Yes. Yeah, that's just brutal. Yeah. Um, and then... And that's the apples and oranges people don't understand between the Pac-12, SEC, ACC. But even within the conference. Right. So, you know, even being able to recruit out-of-state players and in-state players. Like, we didn't have International. that... International. Oh, uh, yeah. Now, there were, there were some, but it wasn't... It wasn't. It wasn't free reign. It right. wasn't. It wasn't. Hey, go get who you need. Right. And um, boosters don't understand that when they look at Santa Barbara and they go, "Well, they're fully loaded. Why? Right. They're, they're kicking butt." Right. Like, <laughs> with, half, with half their team out of state. Right. Correct. Um, and so, um, you know, so it was. It was. It was just. It was. It was rebuilding the culture. It was. Uh, was that the hardest you worked in those like first couple of years? Um. Yeah, but it was fun, too. Yes, but you were still smiling. Yeah, it was Remember fun. Remember when I first saw you, you were still young and smiling. It was, it was, it was building something, and it was building something. It was, and because of the, the situation, I was able to do it without necessarily a lot of scrutiny as far as people really watching everything. Like, why is he recruiting that kid, or why is he playing that? It was like... Or why isn't he recruiting that kid? Right, yeah. all of that stuff. Um, and so, you know, we... We just we just rolled up our sleeves and we, and we went to work and it was it was you know we had a deal every every day is championship day like that's how that's how I wanted them to approach I got that from Cameron Dollar I didn't get that exact saying but I remember having a conversation with him one day and and um, somebody had sat out of practice or something it hurt mm-hmm. and uh, I can't remember if it was his junior or his senior year at UCLA he played with his hands all taped up. They look like mittens, basically, because he had a couple broken fingers on one hand and a broken hand on the other. And so so I made the comment, oh, you didn't practice every day at UCLA when your hands were all busted. And he looked me dead in the eye and said, yes, I did. He said, how, would I, how was I going to be able to play in a game like that if I didn't practice like that? And it was so matter-of-factly. And to me, it was mind-blowing. Like, it was one of those deals, like, being a young whatever who thought, you know, what toughness was. But he just said, a matter of fact, how can I practice? How can I play like that if I don't practice like that? He said, I practiced every single day like that. And he said, if the question is, you got to ask yourself is, is if we were playing for the championship today, would I play? And if the question is yes, then you practice. And he told me that and it stuck. So every, so we went in and one of the things that we did was every day is championship day. Like we're going to approach this deal like it's championship day every single day. So whatever you would give me on championship day, Give it to me today. So, you know, the one thing that I think it did was 
it created a different kind of mindset, but it also later on, I think it helped, you know, we were three and in championship tournament in games because the pressure that they felt in that game, they felt that every single day. It yeah. wasn't new. Like they, we, our, our, our kids didn't go in with big eyes to any three of those games because that's just what we did every single day. I try not to cheer, but I was cheering around 2.45, 3 o'clock for you to win that first one. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. Sitting there in, the, in that place going, I hope this guy pulls it off. Yeah. And, you know, it was... What was that first one like? The first one was probably gratifying, knowing that... Um, that you had an idea, you had a concept, you had a, a, you know some thoughts about how things could go and how things could work, and they actually worked. And you actually worked, and the people around you actually worked to make it work, but that it actually worked. And to watch young people grow. Like, the, the best part of winning those championships is sitting back and watching them celebrate. Right. It's, it's, there's nothing like it watching them and, and their their excitement because nobody I've always said this nobody knows about the journey of a team except the people in that locker room mm-hmm. nobody and sometimes as a head coach sometimes nobody knows about the journey of the kid except you and that kid because as a head coach there's things that you might not know that their parent or you might know that their parents might not know there's definitely times where sure you know things that your assistant coaches don't know because you gotta be able to navigate things and filter things, so um, so to sit back and just watch uh, to watch them celebrate, and it was it was gratifying. The second one was relief. It it was it was just relief. It was we were supposed to do it. We returned everybody. We had the best record in school history. It was it was relief. And if you watch the kids celebrate, it was relief. Right. They'll tell you the second one was way harder than the first one. And but I had been telling them that as soon as we <laughs> reconvened for the for the next year. Right. I said, hey, it's, it's gonna be way harder than the first time. And they were like, ah oh, no, nah, I told the first one was hard. I said, All right, uh-huh. watch. It's gonna be harder. Now you win the championship in the Big West tournament, they mm-hmm. make the announcement. Mm-hmm. You're who'd you was it S where'd you go? The first year we played South Carolina. Are you thinking, like, realistically, I stripped Coach Jason away. Do you say, we got a chance at this? We're we're about to be Princeton over Stanford part two. Right. Is that the hope, the plan? Like, how do you go about it when you're starting to recruit and you're looking, or not recruiting, but you're scouting and you're just like, oh, my God, they got kids. Find a way. Just find a way. There's, like. You got to look, right? You can't just. You find, like. We wanted kids, and I still want to be around kids, and I want to be around people who have high expectations and want to do great things. Bill Walton said, hold on, I got it in my phone. Bill Walton says a lot of stuff. He does say a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. Some of the best media meals I've had was early sports arena days when he was doing stuff, and he would sit down with us, and we'd let Bill go for 40 minutes in the lunchroom and just give out Bill knowledge. It was unbelievable stuff. But but what I'm trying to say is it's, while you're looking for that, is that 
you, it's tough because just in human nature, you look at it and you go, oh my God, they've got seven, eight, nine, ten kids that I would love to have playing. But you can't think like, well, we don't have a shot. Yeah, got to know at some point, you know, David's going to beat Goliath. He's got to do it. We went into all three of those games like any other game that we approached all year and felt like that we had a chance or we were going to put together something to help us win. So South Carolina game, they're 16 seed, we're one. I mean, we're 16 seed, they're a one. It's a six-point game with two minutes left. Gway's out. Our best player is out. She got a concussion halfway into the, into the second half. Janae Sharpen and Cinnamon Lister carriers. Like they they are they're out of this world. So the thing that, to your point, David and Goliath, the thing that was their advantage was also their disadvantage. They were huge inside. Like they they're big kids, like just off size and all mm-hmm. of that deal was a different level. Our guards were better. Like our our, our small our small guards were better. And they put on a show that day. You always had good guards. Was that something you recruited hard for or you developed? Because um, I always saw a relationship with you and your guards for those periods of time. Yeah, love, hate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I oh, think... Oh, they gave you looks. You give daggers back, but there was always the respect it's of... T- it's, it's toughness. Right. Like, those kids were willing to do what it took to be successful. And you had fire hydrants. Boy, those girls were hard as rocks. What they did, we had, first off, shout out to Jeff Curley. Uh, he was our strength conditioning coach at the time. Um, it, but it takes, it takes everybody on the same page with the same vision. Um, it wasn't just me. There were a lot of people involved in helping. Like, he did an outstanding job in preparing our kids physically for just to be better, just to be better athletes, just to be stronger, just to be durable. He he was big time. But um, but part of that, too, is is part of that training prepares them mentally as well. And so, you know, we we had we had tough kids and, and we were able to coach them hard and we were able to push them and they responded the right way. And for some of them, it took longer. For some of them, it never happened. Uh, some of them left before they got to that point. And, that, and that's fine. That's all part sure. of it. Um, you know, I look back and, and, you know, hopefully I've hopefully the kids that that I get to coach now get the best version of me because of all the other experiences that I've had and learned from in coaching. But again, man, we had we had really good kids who worked who worked hard. Um, But, you know, with with the guards, you know, there were certain things that I kind of I like in in guards uh, with toughness being at, at the forefront. Um, and I think that especially in college basketball, the guards, and it, I mean, it's happening in, in pros more now that you, you know, you're seeing the, the extinction of the, the true post player. Right. Uh, but I think guards set the tone and they carry teams. And again, we were fortunate to have some really good guards. How do you manage expectations with players? Tell them the truth. I don't, I mean, I, I just tell them the truth. Like it's, it's, you know, I'm not smart enough to try to manipulate 15 different individuals so that it all works out as my master plan as I'm, you know, sitting back, you know, interlocking. <laughs> yeah. And, and 
I've got an idea. Think, I'll make it, this work. Exactly. I'm, yeah. not, I'm not that smart. I just tell them the truth. <laughs> it, it's, it, and it's, and it's the brutal, honest truth. Like I used to tell, <laughs> they didn't always like it, but like the same things that I said behind closed doors in the coaches meeting, the same thing I said to the kid's face. Like it's, it's not going to, like I'm not going to be any different. If I thought you were terrible today in practice, I'm going to tell you you were terrible today in practice. Now, if I didn't think you could be better, then I wouldn't hold you to a different standard or hold you accountable. If I just thought I, first off, you wouldn't be here. Right. If I didn't think you could do it, you wouldn't be here. Right. Because I, I like to eat. My kids like to eat. This is how we eat. If I didn't think you were capable, you would never right. be here. I don't bring you around because you just, you know. Right. Um, and so, I mean, to to manage expectations, I think you just tell people the truth. It's it's. I don't think it's very... I don't think it's very complicated. I think there's a lot of things. There's a lot of theories, especially these days, man. You have all of these experts that, oh, you should do it this way or you should do it that way. You should do it this way. My question to them is, when have you done it that way? Mm -hmm. Like, not that you came up with a theory or not that you observed something. When did you actually do it that way? Like, you know, there's a viral deal going around. Uh, from this weekend where there's a, uh, a bunch of dads down in Shreveport, Louisiana, and they were having fights like three weeks or... Oh, yeah, yeah, I saw that. Right. right. Dad's so, on duty. Dad's on duty. Those are my guys. Right. I don't know any of them, but those are my guys. Right. Right. And I'm sure there were people with degrees, higher level degrees... Doctorates. ...at the school... Right. ...who had all of these theories about how it should work and this, that, and the other. Dudes, they just did it. Right. They put boots on the ground, and they did it. And so if I'm having issues with violence in my school, I'm calling those dudes. I'm not calling the, the person with the doctor who read you know, 16 books over the weekend to right. come up with a theory. And got taught, and you know got asked to speak at a symposium, but have never done it. Right. And so, um, so yeah, man, it was, it was, I just try to, I, I just try to be honest as possible. And sometimes... Sometimes it might hurt some feelings. Um, I'm okay with that. I think as I've gotten older, hopefully my delivery has gotten better. Um, I think the, the thing that I've definitely developed as time has gone on is uh, the realization that, okay, give them, give them the honesty. And yeah, I don't, you know, I don't sugarcoat really anything, um, but also tell them why. And having Do you them explain understand, the why? Um, yes. Now it, it it's 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 vital. Like it used to be, you know. And every generation probably says this, right? It's you know, my, if 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 Cam told me, "Hey, man, I need you to run through those three dudes right there, and then you know, pass to wherever," I'd be like, "All right, I got to run through those three dudes, and I got to pass to whatever." Like now, you got to tell them why. Mm-hmm. They need to do it in order to completely it's a completely buy in. And I don't I don't know if that's a I don't I don't know if I don't think that's a bad thing. I just think it's you know, it just requires it just requires you as a coach to be better. Right. Make a better leader and explain it. Being able to explain the why. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you because you're in this unbelievable situation that you live with a world class athlete that just happens to be the mother <laughs> of your children. Former, she'll be the first one to tell you. Former world class athlete, but go ahead. 
she can still probably play way better than you and I. Absolutely. No doubt about and it. She's a, and she's an absolute stud. I remember shooting with her in a, in a, in a campaign. That she can do whatever she wants with a bat on ball. Absolutely. God love that woman. She can play. <laughs> Absolutely. Do you ever pick her brain in motivating women? Because motivating you and I are different to, you know, guys. Guys are motivated differently. Women are motivated differently. But do you have a world-class athlete you could pick her brain? Do you do that? Absolutely. I mean, it was, you know, when we first got married, it was, uh, and, you know, we were both coaching, and we were both head coaches. It went from, you know, she would come home, and, you know, as a coach, you come home and you, you know, you kind of vent. Right. Whatever's going on. And I would always be like, oh, you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do that. That didn't go over really well. <laughs> uh, so... Uh, I uh, I quickly learned um, we we've we've got we've kind of got it figured out over the years. Now, uh, do you have the same man same head coaching styles? Absolutely not. Oh, okay. Because we have two different personalities, right? Like, I think parenting and coaching are very similar, if not almost identical. Does she believe the same thing? Yes. Okay. She is. Uh, and it works for her because it's it's true to who she is. I always, I'm going to coach a team differently than she does. She's going to coach a team differently than you. You're going to mm-hmm. coach a team differently than your wife. And it doesn't mean that all four can't work. Right. I'm not, I, I don't believe that the way that I coach is the only way to be successful. That's that's not, it's never been a part of my, my thought process. It worked, the way that I do it works for me. Mm-hmm. And... If I'm doing it well, whatever my team needs is the way that I will coach them, right? In some years you get it right, in some years you might tinker with it and you get it wrong, and sometimes you're stubborn and you get it wrong, but my job is to get the best out of our players and our team, right? But with that being said, she is a, we're at home, kids are watching TV, hey, are you guys ready to take a shower? She'll ask the question, <laughs> right? And what are, what are my kids going to say? No. Nope. <laughs> well, I am the, hey, man, it's time to take a shower. And if action isn't taken shortly thereafter, there'll be a more stern follow-up <laughs> that will motivate action, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That's just me. Right. It was how I was raised. It was how I was coached. It's just, it's just my personality. Now, again, over the years, there's things, especially now, man, my son, is, he's, he's a sixth grader. And, you know, I get taken to school three days a week, which has been great. And, um, I am I'm coaching my daughter's 10U soccer team. Uh, oh, great example. We were playing the other day, and we hadn't won the game yet. We had, we had lost one, and we had tied one. And we were up 2-0, right? And it's, you know, they give the, the substitution time. So it kind of turns into quarters. So mm-hmm. we're going into the fourth quarter. And we're about to start the fourth quarter. And we're huddled up. And, uh, you know, I'm like, oh, we're up 2-0. Like, we got to get this win, right? And we play 7-on-7. Seven seven. We only have seven on the team. So everybody plays. So it's just about what position they're right. playing, right? <laughs> Shuffling the pieces. Right. So I put our best goalie at goalie. I put our score. I still got our scores up front. And I put our best defender back as defender so my daughter says she's already played defender I want to play defender 
And I promptly turned and looked her. I, I, I got down to her level, right? So I, I, I kneeled down and I looked her dead in her eyes and I said, you are not going to play defender because every time I've put you there, you've been bad. And then I just went and told the rest of the team. Well, I told her what was going to happen and I told her why, right? To me, that's growth for me. <laughs> and so she didn't bat an eye. She, she knows she's around it all the time, right? Okay, I'm not playing defender and he told me why. Now, if you want to be better and you want to play defender, then go be better. Work out of that practice, ask me some questions about what you need to do. But we're not just gonna, we're not just gonna, I'm not gonna pat her on the back or, or my son or anybody that I'm around, period. Right. And let them think it's okay when it's not, when I know it's not okay. Now, if I don't know, I'll keep my mouth closed. But if I know what you're doing isn't good enough and it's my charge, my responsibility is to help you be the best version of you because as a parent, that's what our charge is. As a coach, that's what our charge is. Any position of leadership, our charge is to help the people around us be the best that they can possibly be. They're not always going to like what I say. Right. And she doesn't always like it. <laughs> she respected it. We went out, we scored two more goals, and we won four nothing. <laughs> what do you know? Hey. The theory worked. Hey, I felt like Ted Lasso. Put your, <laughs> your best players in the best spot. Hey, there you go. Now, you touched on it. You said leadership. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the most important thing that coaches are doing and teaching. What is your philosophy on leadership? Because it's like running, and we talked about it earlier, it's like what you're doing is like running a small business. You have 15 employees. You got to manage your staff of assistant coaches and everybody else. How do you go about that? Yeah, I think a um, couple things. One of the things that I always tell players is if they're always leading. It's just a matter of where you're leading people to. So especially in a team environment, you, like you said, you have 15 people. At any time, somebody's going to have to take that. The role of leader is actually going to fluctuate from situation to situation. There could be a time, obviously on the floor, you know, hopefully your best players are your leaders, right? Because they're out there on the floor all the time and they're just that and the other. Well, there's going to be opportunities on the bench where somebody's going to have to step up and lead because maybe somebody isn't playing as much as they want to and now they're being negative on the bench or making comments. And hopefully somebody steps up and says, hey, we don't need that. You know what I mean? That's the place mm -hmm. of leadership. It could be a freshman, the group is out socially and something's going on where a freshman knows better and says, hey, we need to get out of here or we need to go do something different. That's leadership. And so for, for me, it's always been, you know, you're always leading. Um, and it's just a matter of where are you leading people? And so that's been important for me. I think as I've gotten older, um, I try to, and it probably doesn't seem like this on this podcast, uh, <laughs> but I try to ask a lot more questions. The older I get, the more... I see an importance and a sophistication in asking the right question because the right question helps everybody in the conversation. It helps the person that is giving the answer because it could be you don't have to say something. They say it and then the aha moment hits like, oh, or it could be you ask them a question because if you would just make a statement from your perspective, you'd be off. 
But now you ask them a question, they answer it and it gives you a different perspective of what the situation is or maybe what's going on with that person. And so I think as I've gotten older um, and been in different situations, I try to ask more questions. Um, one of my former players uh, sent me a TED, I think it was a TED talk, it was something. I think it was a Simon Sinek deal. Um, and he talked about Nelson Mandela and leadership. And they said one thing that Nelson Mandela did was anytime he had a meeting with his, with his people, his circle, he would always go last. So whatever the topic was, he'd listen to everybody else's opinion or talk, and then he'd go last. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was very powerful. Uh, and they said he learned it from his dad, who was, kind of, who was a tribal leader in, in Africa, and that's how he approached it. Um, I've tried to take that approach um, over the last year, year and a half, and I think it's, it's helped me to be better because the more information that you have about the situation, the more information you have about people, the better decisions you can make. Um, and then I think the last thing about leadership is, is it's not about you. It's, it's really not. It, it's not about me as a leader. It's not about me. I mean, I couldn't tell you how many games we won at CSUN when I was there. I honestly couldn't tell you. It was never about me, ever. It, I, it was never about me getting the next job. It was never about me doing this. It, was never about, it wasn't about that. My sole focus was helping our team and the young people in our team be the best that they could possibly be. And so, again, sometimes you're gonna be liked for decisions, sometimes you're gonna be liked for the things that you do, um, sometimes you're not. Sometimes you're gonna, you're gonna have to make decisions that people don't like, and you're gonna have to do things that people don't like. Um, but if I think leaders can sleep well at night knowing that they were true to themselves in the attempt of helping others. That's, that's a good way to start and a good way to finish and to keep learning as a leader. Absolutely. Like you're never done. Ever. Like you would not want to be Jason from 2004. If you haven't had a conversation with me in the last six months, you haven't had a conversation with me. And if somebody said, and if somebody, I just thought about this the other day, I don't even know why. <laughs> But if, you know, people say, oh, man, you haven't changed a bit. That's not a compliment. No, it's not really. Right. Like, I, and I forgot. I forgot why I even thought about it. It wasn't in a conversation. I was just I was watching something. And it's to your point. If I, I'm not the same, I'm not the same person. I'm not the same coach. I'm not the same dad than I was this time last year. And if I am, then I'm doing something wrong. Right. Right, absolutely. Yeah. What, where is it where you're trying to impose or, or put in the will of the player to be a better leader, right? Because some of them, when you're recruiting, you might see that they've got leadership skills. And then others, when you get them, you want them to develop the leadership skills. Yeah. How do you do that? I think you have, it starts with expectation. If you, um, if you expect certain things, I think a lot of times people live up to those expectations. And those can be good or bad. And that's why in, I always, and, and I, found, I found the quote that I was looking for earlier. 
um, the the quote was from Bill Walton, and he said it. I heard him say this the other night. Those not willing to go too far will never will never know how far they can go. Those not willing to go too far will never know how far they can go. Did he say that during a commentary or get during a game? He said that he came and he spoke at our at our tip off dinner. Did uh, he really? Yeah, he did. It was it was a it was a smorgasbord of information. Oh my God! Uh, Tell for, me that was recorded. Somebody has it. Somebody has to have it. But he, he dropped a couple of gems in there, and I thought that was one of them. Um, and so, and I say that because a lot of times, as lead as people, we put restraints on other people, knowingly or unknowingly. Meaning, ah, uh, she's always going to be that. He's always going to do that. No, why? Like there, there's nothing written in stone. If, if somebody has said that about me or anybody, it would have stunted our growth. Well, oh, absolutely. Because it is, it, it, it stunt, it, even your approach to that person as a leader, you approach it completely different. So if I sit back and say, ah, you know what, she's never going to be a leader, then I'm going to approach it that way. I'm not going to put her in a position of leadership. I'm not going to waste, in my mind, waste the time to teach her what it takes to be a leader. I'm not going to go through that process because in my mind, it's, it's just going to be a waste of time because she's never going to do it. And so I say that I, I use that quote in that deal because until you until you're willing to do it and to push the envelope and to see if that kid can be a leader or that young person can be a leader, then you'll never know. You'll never know how much she could lead. Maybe she's not a 10 out of 10 leader. Maybe she's not a five star general, mm-hmm. but maybe you can get her to a four star. Right. Three star. And she started off at zero. Right. Instead of in four years, she's out the door and the next person gets her and says, oh, she doesn't have any leadership skills or she's never going to do it. Like sometimes people just get get passed along. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I, so I, I think it starts with believing that there's leadership potential in everybody and then putting them in situations where those qualities that required them to use those qualities. Uh, right. You know, my That's second big. year at CSUN, uh, and this is a compliment to her, uh, so I hope she, I hope, hopefully she takes it this way. We had a kid named Jasmine Irving. And Jasmine Irving was talented, and she hadn't necessarily, uh, she hadn't necessarily produced at the level that she was capable of. And my first year at CSUN, we butted heads. She was our best player, and we butted heads. Partly because the biggest deal was I didn't do a good enough job of communicating why I wanted what I wanted from her, bottom line. Um, And we both grew through that first year. And she could have bailed. She could have easily left. She could have easily went a different route, and she did. And... The next year, we have the biggest turnaround in the country. We go from four wins the first year to 18 wins the second year. And she was literally the center of the turnaround. Um, but I remember we, were, we had started to play well. We had a, a bunch of freshmen. So it was her, maybe like one junior who played 
but everybody else was basically freshmen. Okay. <laughs> right. And there were some games that we won that people were surprised that we won early on. There were some games that I was disappointed that we lost. And our game, our last game before Christmas break, we played at Portland and we lost. And it was a game that I thought we should have, that we should have taken care of. And she wasn't very good. And I had a decision to make. I was either going to say, hey, she's never going to do it, or I was going to go all in. So we go to Christmas break. It was great because I had a couple of days to, to process and think about it. <laughs> and we come back for our first practice after, and I, I text her. I said, hey, man, meet me in the gym, you know, at whatever time. It was before anybody else got there. It's just me and her in the gym. And I kind of told her, to, I gave her the deal, and I just said, hey, man, here, here's where we are. And I said, here's the decision that I'm making. You're our leader. And we're going to go as you go. And I'm putting my faith and my trust in you being able to lead the group. And from that point forward, she started acting like the leader that I had envisioned her to be. And it was a matter of me giving it to her and stepping back and letting her do it. Instead of, and because everybody leads differently. You know what I mean? Like it, it's yeah, not, I, absolutely. Can't, I can't tell the next person how to lead exactly. Like it, it can't, you just gotta be you. And you have to, you gotta be genuine in your approach and you gotta care about others and, and, and those kind of things. But I can't tell you exactly what to say. I can't tell you exactly what to do. That's not how it works. And she was a big part of us, you know, having a year that we had and, you know, she ended up being the first team all-conference kid and played professionally overseas for a while. And But, you know, I think I learned I learned a valuable lesson in that, in that, you know, if you want people to lead and you believe that, that they can lead, then let them lead and get out of the way. Can't say it better than that. Yeah. How has it been over those 10-year period at Northridge, a little bit before, coaching – during the explosion of the social media era with Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, where when you first started, it was the media guide. Right. Right, the power of the media guide. Right. But now, the players have a voice. God forbid the boosters have a voice. Everybody. Parents. Parents, yes. Yeah. AAU coaches, everybody, the yeah. uncle, the cousin, everybody yeah. is chiming in. How, how was that? You know what? Before you asked that question, I never even thought about it. It was just life. You know what I mean? Like you're in it and it's just, it's just part of the deal. Um, so as we went through the process, we wanted, to, we wanted to change the culture, but we also wanted to change the perception of the program. Mm-hmm. And I think we were able to do that in some of the stuff that we did on social media as, as things started to go, right? Like um, we... You know, maybe we didn't have video people in the resources that, you know, bigger schools did, but it didn't stop us from doing things and doing things that, you know, gave a message that we were that we were legit. Right. And we were going to do things and and how we did things and and that kind of stuff. Um, As far as the recruiting deal, I think, you know, it's changed. The the last the last um, speech I gave our group my last year at at. CSUN, we lost in the conference tournament. And, you know, obviously the seniors are in there for the last time. Mm-hmm. And so we're in there. And the last thing I told them was, 
your opinion isn't going to change the world. It's good that you have it. It's great that you have it. Mm -hmm. But your opinion alone won't change the world. Like, if you want change, you got to actually go out and do something. You actually got to make a difference. You actually got to, all the things that we talk about, fighting through adversity and being unselfish and caring about others, but actually doing the work. You actually got to do the work. I think more recently, social media has has people thinking that if they tweet something or if they put something up on social media, that A, it becomes really important to the world, Mm -hmm. right? And that they're going to change the world by tweeting or they're going to change the world by, no, no, that can be part of it, but it's not the only thing. You actually got to get out and do work. You actually got to, if you want things to change, you have to go out and be part of the change. Um, so to your point, obviously everybody has an opinion now and everybody has access to sharing that opinion to a lot more people <laughs> yeah. than, it, than, than maybe 15 years ago. Um, and people have always had opinions. Sure. Now they just have access to it. Um, but again, opinions alone don't change anything. And so, um, you know, I think you have to try to help young people navigate that in an age where there's a lot of stuff out there. And there's, you know, you're trying to, you're fighting, you're fighting perceptions um, that they are learning of what the world is really like, because it's not really like that. Um, you're trying to, with the, with the emergence of social media and all that stuff, even more so, in my opinion, we've become more of a me society. It's about me. I, I got this to say. And that's got to be tough with basketball. Well, any sport, any team sport, it, it, it erodes the core of the essence of team sports. And so part of it now is, is you know, I think you, you got to look and see when you're evaluating kids, part of that process is what are they saying on social media? Or what is their social media? What does that social media look like? You know, like, is it is it all about me? Is it, you know, I think there's some, there's some, there's definitely times where you, I've looked back over the years and I look at a social media, I do this and I'm like, ah, yep, that was a red flag I should have known. <laughs> yeah. Like I, just, I just didn't pay attention right, well enough. Right, right. Um, but I think there's, it's just another aspect of coaching that you're, that you're required to address to help young people develop. And at the end of it, that's what it's about. Whether, you know, um, them understanding that what they put out there is a representation of them is branding, right? And then, so if it's a representation of them, then it's a representation of their family, right? If it's a representation of them, then it's a representation of the program and the university and anything else that they're affiliated with. So I would ask our kids all the time, like, hey, if your grandma saw what you posted, you'd be okay with it? Right. Uh, you know, sometimes, you know, sometimes it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah granny saw it. <laughs> and <laughs> and, then, and then you just shake God, your head, yeah. right? Jesus, uh, granny, come on, right, step up. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> granny's worse than mine. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> she's but, got a check mark, too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She's got a blue check. Um, but, uh, but, you know, it's just, it's another deal that we just got to try to educate educate young people on and not to say that we have all the answers but you know we do have more experience more life experience and so just trying to help them grow and be better 
Um, but it's, I mean, these days it definitely has to be a part of the evaluation process when you're looking, uh, when you're looking at kids. So, you know, just, but again, it's just, it just is what it is. Right. Yep. Well, I'm glad that I got to shoot you at Irvine, got photograph of your time as assistant coach, head coach. You got time to sit down with me today, drop some knowledge. I don't know about knowledge. I well, dropped a lot. It was a little bit of something. Uh, There's nuggets in every part. You know what? I appreciate, uh, you know, from days at Irvine to today, uh, you know, you've been nothing but supportive. Uh, every time I see you, you're smiling, which always is a, uh, which is always a good thing. Uh, so I. You've always again, been fun to photograph. Great hey, subject. Hey man, humbled and honored to be uh, to be asked to even sit down and, and have this conversation. Uh, this is fantastic. Yeah. Now you go home, take care of those kids, hug that wife for me. We'll do. Yeah, we'll do. Okay. I, won't, I won't be asking if they uh, if they're ready to take showers tonight. I'll be telling them. <laughs> That's it. Get off. <laughs> Time to get that stink off you. Exactly. You don't smell that. <laughs> That's the worst part. Yeah. Have you not developed a nose yet? <laughs> right. What the hell's wrong with you? <laughs> right. <laughs> You're the man, Jason. No, I appreciate it. Man. All right, keep going. All right, thanks. Thank you for listening to my conversation with Jason Flowers. Please click the like button if you enjoyed the episode. Also, subscribe.